Today's episode is brought to you by you. The reality is, is that this podcast, whilst it's clearly the best podcast in all of history, is not going to get the numbers of viewers that can sustain ad revenue and things like that from other platforms. So we need support from you guys. YouTube's not going to pay the bills. Patreon might. Patreon is a little thing that you can sign up for. Well, you can support us each month with small little payments. And I'm working on something, a little gift, a little way of saying thank you. That is an exclusive thing that you get for anyone who has signed up for the Patreon account. I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. But for all those people who have signed up and who do give a little bit of money to support the podcast, thank you very much. You are the people keeping the lights on in the podcast. Thank you. Let's get back into the episode. All right, welcome to today's episode of the Australian Lord and Garden podcast. Uh, we have a very fantastic guest. We have Ashley James uh, from Ashley James Gardens, Gardening, Gardens. Which one is Garden. the business name? Gardens. Gardens. Yeah. I mean, you think, I mean, after everything that's happened before and lead up to this, that I, you, know, <laughs> you, you thought I was incredibly professional, but uh, we won't tell that story. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> He'll say, let's let's paint him a quick picture. If if you guys don't follow this guy on Instagram, um, what are you doing with your life? But you've been doing this since you basically came out of the womb. You're, you're a gardener at heart. Yeah. You've got a bunch of people on Instagram. Your reels are fantastic. Your advice is fantastic. You're running a business that does really cool work. You've been on the block. You write articles with different people. But most, I mean, you're a family guy. You've got all this stuff going on. But most importantly, you're a fan of the Zinger Box, right? <laughs> So we Big know you're fan. somebody we can trust. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. We we're just joking before you were saying you were in the KFC drive-through, looking at listening to the podcast, looking at the story, and thought, you know, what's my life become? Basically, <laughs> four days later, and I'm on the podcast. Well, my I've actually is, been. My life is complete. I I loved it when you you messaged because um, I think I've been following you on my business page since before the podcast was around. I don't know if you knew that, but um, Silverstone guarding my business page, which I mean, to be fair, I'm not much of an Instagram guy. I only really got into it since um, getting on the podcast. I'm a big YouTube guy. I love YouTube. So like I'll watch for whatever reason. I don't know. That's just, I don't even have TikTok, right? Like the idea of just going on. YouTube for you, man, would be because um, everything with like the the lawns and all that kind of stuff, like that started with like the Keith Kalfas and all those guys on YouTube over yep. in the US, and it was just like huge. So, um, yeah, I think that's probably why you're on it, man, because there's a huge following of all that stuff over there. But what, what's happened with the podcast is now I, I'm really into just finding Australian people who are doing cool things, right? But whatever happened, I don't know if, how long I've been following you, but at some point I must have stumbled across something going, oh, that's pretty, you know, and just followed what you were doing. And then I was on my page, my business page, just scrolling down, and then your stuff came up, and I was like, yeah, I remember this guy. And I was like, I should get him on the podcast at some point stage. And that was probably two weeks ago. And then you messaged, and I was like, oh, he listens. This is cool. Like, <laughs> let's do it, <laughs> you know? So. This is a weird natural. Uh, it's cool that it's like it's it's quite natural that like uh, I was following you, you were listening. It's like, anyways, but welcome. And I'm interested in this conversation. I've listened to your podcast with um, Joel. Uh, for who? those who don't know, uh, yeah, uh, look, there's this little guy. I mean, he's a bit of a. Uh, he's, he's a small man. 
it's not even worth talking about, really. But Al uh, <laughs> <laughs> Barnett, he's been running a podcast called the Landscaping Podcast. I've been on his; he's been on mine. He's actually, he, from what I know, he's quite a nice guy. You know him personally. Is he a nice guy? Um, yeah, no, he is. We like to give each other a bunch of stick, and if you do listen to his podcasts, I, my name gets thrown around a lot. Um, most of the time, it's just Joel taking the Mickey out of me. But uh, all jokes aside, he is actually a genuine nice guy. Well, do you know where a bunch of his jobs are? Like when he's doing different things. Like, do you know him that personally? Because if you do, you better not keep saying bad things about you. Because you could go and just draw some like glypho willies in his lawns or something like that. And he's, he's <laughs> I um, when we did the block together in St Kilda, he had his uh, Ute parked out in the street, and um, I had to move mine because the parking inspectors just kept finding us left, right, and centre. Oh wow. So, Yep. Yeah, yeah, that was one thing that came out of the block was the amount of parking fines I ended up with. Um, but uh, In Melbourne? Moving, yeah, in St Kilda. Yeah, so... Oh, um, yeah, 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 that's the beach. Yeah, so when I was moving the car around and you'd see the install ute there, we'd always mess it with the, mess it around with it a little bit, throw some Ashley James logos on it or something. I, uh, I've got a good parking story from Melbourne from 10 years ago, and in fact, I was talking about this with, you know, Nick from Lawns and Good Nick? So uh, I don't know if it's come out yet. So I don't know if I'm spilling the beans, but he uh, had the project coming over to his house and we did this collaborative reel recently. So we were talking on the same day that the project was coming over to his house. And I was like, oh, I was on the project 10 years ago because uh, anyway, Husey cracked a joke at me because 10 years ago, uh, you know, a little bit longer than 10 years ago, I was the support driver for a uh, charity group that was cycling around Australia that, you know, I'd sail with my friends. And um, anyways, uh, we had our, we had our car broken into and Channel 10 came around, did an interview. I made myself look like a fool. <laughs> anyway, I should I should post that up. But uh, anyways, so QZ had a crack at me. And it, was, it was good fun. Anyways, I got, when the car got broken into, I was in a parking zone which we weren't allowed to park um, in school hours. Right, but right. because the car got broken into, the police had to come along, so I didn't move the car, and then I got fined. It's like a hundred and sixty bucks, right? <laughs> Two days earlier, I was in the city, and I know nothing. And if you're from WA, you drive in the in the city, and you guys with your bloody hook turns and whatever no. rubbish you've got going on, and the number of people you have, that's like two and a half times what Perth has. So it's like, oh, it's such an annoying experience. And I parked, and I couldn't find where to pay for my ticket, and I'm like. I'm I'm doing something for three minutes. I'm going to risk it, $160 fine. So this is my second $160 fine I'd had yeah. in like three days. We're like, I was like 19. Like I'm, this is a charity thing. I got no money. I'm like, oh my goodness, my second one. Anyways, the Channel 10 lady, I don't know if she's there anymore. Her name was Emma. I was talking to them and I was like, yeah, got two fines. And she's like, say no more. Channel 10 got me out of both fines. Oh, how good I was that? like, that is so good. And I, I uh, anyways, so thanks, Channel 10. I'll take the joke. I was at my expense. But, anyways, Melbourne, I don't know if I want to go back, to be honest. That's <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah, I'm in, um, I'm, I'm in the outskirts. I'm in the Yarra Valley. So, even for myself going into the city, trying to figure out book turns, like, I'm, what am I now, 34? And I think I've only just discovered how to do them myself. I used to just sit there with the indicator on and just get abused by the taxi drivers and just turn because it took me a little while to get used to it as well. We've got one roundabout in my street, in my town, sorry. So it's, um, yeah, it was a bit of a 
change going in the city, even for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe, we should talk about gardening stuff. What do you yeah. reckon? There we go. Well, let's start with this. First thing I wanted to say, and I told you this off here, but people go on Ashley's Instagram. It's Ash, right? Ashley. What else? Ashley. What yeah. Ashley's fine. Go on Ashley's Instagram. And the video quality of your reels, like there's a bunch of people out there who will do, uh, you know, they will, they will do a tour. Like, this is my garden. You know, this is what I do. And it's like, oh, yeah, cool, cool. This is your garden. What you're doing is like, man, it's so pretty. And you've got, I don't know what you're doing because, you know, this is not my skill set. But it's there's a level of quality and attention to detail. And it just man, it makes it look awesome. You're like cutting a bloody tomato and you make it look good. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. You're just moving a basket and it looks all right. And it's like, man, this is, what do you do, right? Like, how are you getting them looking this good? So I've got a few things. So I'm, I think probably the main thing there is I'm really fussy with what I do post. So yeah. I no longer post. And I used to post, uh, you know, photos from my iPhone and all that kind of stuff. I no longer do that. I'll, I'll put them in my stories, but I won't put them in my feed. So um, I'm, I'm a big one on, like, attention to detail. So when it comes to the actual reels, I do a mixture um, where I'll put stuff up from my mobile phone if the lighting is right and I can film it right. Um, otherwise, I have photographers and videographers that we work with, and um, and they're really good. They do a they do a great yeah. job. And for argument's sake, I work with Jack from um, from thirty. Geez, if they get this right, thirty three Media. Um, he does a lot of my videography for me, and he'll send yeah. me over a big splice of the of the whole video, and then I can splice it down into different sections, yeah. and then I'll put my music over it and and make it sound the way that I want it to and feel the way I want it to. Right, because I've done the same thing with a friend for Silverstone Gardening with Mother Mind Media, mm-hmm. um, but I don't have—I don't think I have as much. Well, I, he's given me, but he's taken a bunch of shots and he's given me stuff, and and we've used it in advertising. But I don't do as many reels, and I don't think I have the like you're sort of telling a story with your reels, whereas mine's more just like here's a shot of us doing work, and yeah. and when Muller, who's a friend of mine, takes a shot, I'm like. I don't know, there's something about it where it's like, I wouldn't even think about doing that angle. I can't even, like, he just sees something and he shoots it and then I get this file back. I'm like, that looks so good. I don't even know why it looks good. It just looks yeah. good. And I don't know what how he does it. It's just magic to me, you know? So so I learned, and we spoke briefly off, um, off air about this, but I learned a very important lesson in business not long ago, and it's do what you do best and then outsource the rest. Yep. And and I live by that now. That is just everything that I live by. So, yes, I can make some nice videos and, and I've got a little bit of an eye for uh, photography and stuff like that. But when you put my stuff up against the professionals, it's not there. In saying that, like there's a um, – I think I have it pinned to the top of my Instagram page where it's just the gardener's garden um, and I've got this beautiful sunset coming over the garden at my house. That's just filmed on my iPhone and like that – that reel alone is something like 60,000 views. So you don't have to have um, a professional coming out every time. Um, But I just, I'm very fussy with the quality of work that we put, well, that we produce and that, and that I post. Well, what I like as well, we'll get into the technical side of actual what you do and work and all that sort of stuff. But what I love is when you look at like Instagram, it becomes this same with the rest of the internet. It all becomes about like feeding the algorithm what it wants so yeah. that you get more and more likes and more and more likes, and more and more likes. 
the problem with that is everybody starts looking the same because it used to be this time I follow a couple of people who are on the different accounts I've got who are like Instagram coaches, right? And I don't really follow what they're doing. I don't have the time. But I I watch what they're doing and they're like, you need to find trending sounds or you need to have a six-second reel. And it's like, okay, cool, okay. But are you actually in this industry going to get the type of people who will actually get work? Because I'm not interested in 100,000 followers in Japan, right? Like I only work in a very small geographical area in Perth. And so even if I'm getting people from Adelaide or Melbourne or whatever, whereas the approach, and I'm no Instagram expert by any stretch of the imagination, but from a marketing standpoint, it's, you know, for us to have successful businesses in this industry, you really only need, I mean, it depends on the size of your client, but somewhere between 10 large clients and maybe 120 small clients to keep one person sustained. And it depends on how often and frequency and the, or the level of service and stuff. But I'm talking for a general rough guide. So what? why do you need 10,000 Instagram followers? You know, or like, uh, and I'm not saying that to describe to discredit anybody who has that because there's different values, but chasing just vanity numbers and just chasing like, oh, I'm going to get 10,000 people, but they're all in South Korea and, you know, Uzbekistan and yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, 100% being, being – and I'm not um, – I'm going to say that I'm not saying this about myself because I don't want to give Joel ammunition to poke the bear any more than he does. But <laughs> being um, famous on Instagram is like being rich in Monopoly. It just – it's nothing. So – I could have, um, like I used to post a photo back in the day before it went to reels and I'd get maybe three and a half, four thousand 4,000 likes on that photo. But that doesn't mean that I'm getting three and a half to 4,000 inquiries come through my business page. Yeah. Whereas now I can post a, a landscape photo and it might only get three to 400 um, likes on it, but I could get two to three job inquiries come from that, which could range from 75,000 to, to 300,000. So it's, it depends what you want to be doing. Like, do you want to have a big Instagram following and be an Instagram influencer yeah. or do you want to try and run a business and this is just a way of having a portfolio where you can showcase your work? And that's what I'm getting at with your quality of video is that you're not following the trends just to get likes. I, I actually I'm think not, your yeah. stuff will convert. Your stuff, because it looks so schmick, will convert more people to the style of – because you only do high-end stuff. You're not doing that many jobs anymore. You're taking on more like, uh, from what I understand, this things have changed. You're taking on more like big projects and long-term maintenance plans and stuff. So that sells what you're trying to aim at. I love it, you know? Yeah, and I went back to what you said before, like how, and I'm, it's nice to hear you say that because that's what we're trying to achieve is how you said it tells a story. Um, because the, the gardens that we produce and that we create, they're not... Um, you stand like cut and paste bulk gardens, like everything that I do, it's it's like trying to create and tell a story so that as you journey through the garden, you go from one room to another and you have all these different seasonal interests and everything like that. And that's what I'm trying to achieve with the videos as well. Um, and like you talk about trending audio, well, like my, my stuff is so far from trending audio. The majority of the tunes that go over my gardens are like classical music from like the Beethoven era because it just matches with what I'm trying to do. Yep. Mine is ASMR from me eating zinger boxes. I think. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. Like, <laughs> I'm just. Anyways, well, I, I should stop like talking about Instagram too much because 
well, one, I don't know what I'm doing, but two, there's so much more interesting stuff. But to just to cap it off, you've got about 30,000 people, right? I mean, I checked before because I was like looking on. How much work do you get from that? Like for somebody who's out there, like to quantify what that really means for a business. And obviously it's different because you're a very mature business. You've been around for a long, long time. So there's other things that are probably like reputation, things like that, that maybe $30,000 or $30,000. What was that? You just call me old. Well, I mean <laughs> old in the industry because you've been gone for very – we'll talk about that in a second. But what I mean is like 30000 followers for someone who started six months ago because they gamed the system is probably not the same as 30,000 followers for someone who also has the decade plus of experience, right? Yeah. But well, it's how much does it mean for you? Well, it's funny. So I think pre-going on the block, I had around four, the, sorry, pre-going on the block the first time, I think I had around 4,000 followers. Um, and I probably back then, I probably used to get around maybe 30, 40% of my work via Instagram. Um, I think yeah. Facebook was a lot bigger back then. Um, and then we did the block and I think in like overnight, we gained an extra 8,000 odd followers. Um, and then that kind of over the reruns for the couple of weeks there, that went up a few thousand more. So that maybe put me on around uh, 12 to 15,000 followers for argument's sake. Um, and we had inquiries come from there. And then uh, probably ran that for another two to three years. Then um, I reckon I was maybe up around the 90% of my work came via Instagram. Um, yeah. Then COVID hit and I did my garden here, which was great for our following. It put my following through the roof and that's where those extra, you know, 15,000, 17,000 followers came from. However, that market that came in those last... 15,000 followers were more of people looking for ideas and tips and tricks on what to do with their own house. Yeah. So it gained me a following, but it didn't necessarily gain me work leads. And then yeah. I went down a bit of a rabbit hole where I was posting more about my garden and my wife actually gave me a kick up the bum and she said, you just kind of look like you're trying to be a, an Instagram garden guru as opposed to a business. So she gave me a bit of a kick up the bum to start posting more about the work that we're doing on our projects as opposed to what I'm doing in my garden. So now I'm trying to find that balance between the two because um, I reckon at the moment I was thinking around 90, 95% of my leads came via Instagram and I reckon I'm yep. probably back down to around 65, 70% by Instagram. But that's 65, 70%. Is that enough to take you over? Is that way more than you need? Is it like, uh, you know, I need to get more from other sources? Um, it's a good question and it's a little bit hard to answer at the moment because the business has had another shuffle up and, and, and change in directions. Um, so during COVID, I'm not sure what it was like over there, but during COVID here, our industry just went through the roof and it was, it was chaotic. Maintenance died, uh, in the ass big time, but landscape projects and landscape design just you couldn't keep up with it. So I actually sat in the office for a solid 12 months there just designing gardens. I, be I barely left my office. I was just busy designing um, flat out. Right. And now I've noticed that since the interest rates have gone up, that middle class market has slowed right down. Yeah. We've still got our one percenters where, you know, interest rates don't affect them and they'll spend no matter what. Exactly. Um, yeah. But that middle class market is definitely, you know, they're, they're watching their pennies because cost of living is so expensive. Um, so what I've noticed now is the design inquiries 
And, and I think it will change leading into the warmer weather. It always seems to boost up and, and bring people back to thinking about being yeah, outside. Yeah, yeah. But in Melbourne in particular, like we get cold winters down here, especially where I am in the Yarra Valley. Like we get cold winters and, and I love it, but people don't want to go out in their garden in winter. They'd rather sit inside with the fire and, and read a book or watch a bit of Netflix and just chill out. So, um, but what I've noticed is the design inquiries have slowed down a little bit. So for the last probably five to six months, I've been back out on site building uh, all my designs, which has been was a big adjustment after sitting in an office for 12 months, then go back yeah. out on the pools was a big adjustment. And I had to get blisters and everything again to kind of uh, get back to it. But um, I'm actually Let's really go back to being it. a real man. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm actually, um, I'm really enjoying the direction that we're heading in now because I get a taste of both and I really enjoy that. All right. You know, one of the craziest things that's ever happened in this podcast is the sheer amazing response people have had to the Lawn Shed sponsorship. It is crazy the number of businesses, considering the size of this podcast, the number of people who have signed up to a Lawn Shed Trader account off the charts. Thank you so much for doing that. If you've done that, maybe you're sitting around going, I'm not quite sure exactly what's best for me to get right now. Here's exactly what I'm using from the Lawn Shed right now. Three real quick things. The first is we're using a lot of Match Play Origin. It's a really good fertilizer for getting a pick-me-up. Not a great fertilizer if the lawn's already looking really schmicko because if you put too much of it down, it might thatch up the lawn a bit. You might want to use a spring start or something else that's a little bit more slow release. But for lawns that are coming out of spring, maybe they're not the healthiest. You've got the weather on your side. You put down Match Play Origin, Apache Lawn will fill up really quickly. Um, just have a look at the sheer number of micronutrients. So you've got macros like you know, nitrogen, potassium, phosphorus. A lot of fertilizers have that. Look at the micronutrients that are in there. The number of micronutrients in that it just rivals just about any other product on the market. If you're currently getting your stuff from Bunnings, I don't think there's anything else. Not that I know everything that's in Bunnings across the entire country, but I don't know of anything else that I've ever seen that matches the sheer variety of of nutrients that this is giving from a Bunnings thing. So if you're the sort of person getting stuff from Bunnings, fertilizer from Bunnings, this, in my opinion, is crapping all over that. All right. So then the second thing that I'm using is we're using Barricade to prevent weeds. And this little trick that we're doing is we apply that with some other products. You can apply it with liquid fertilizers. You do have to do a little test, jar test first to make sure they're compatible. But liquid fertilizers, wetting agents, seaweed, all that sort of stuff. We put them all together and you can do a little bit of a sale like would you like fries with that sort of thing like Mactus does. You know, your burger is the barricade application, the fries are the other things that you can put on. But that's something that we do a lot of this time of year. And then the final thing that we're doing uh, is just a, a standard broadleaf post-emergent spray. You've got a lot of weeds like Burmetic or, or uh, Oxalis, Clovis, things like that, just standard dandelions, things like that that are you know, making lawns look not so great. A bow and arrow is a fantastic product for the commercial operator. You don't use a lot of water. It's really like, you know, it covers a broad range of weeds. Fantastic product to use. So that's what we're doing. Match play origin. We're doing a barricade application with a lot of different things mixed in, and, you know, to, to make the most of the profits on that. And the final thing is a post-emergent spray. If you're getting those three things down in spring, you're going to be making a lot of extra money and getting a lot of return in terms of quality results. So what do you think is more important? All right, here's a, here's a technical question that I, I have an opinion, right? 
<clears throat> probably offend some people, but what do you think is more important? <laughs> is it more important to have really good design, right, and rubbish maintenance, or would it be more important to have really rubbish design but really good maintenance for a gardener? Uh, yeah, okay. So, you, so you're actually talking – so the difference between me and every or not me and every other designer but me and a lot of other designers is that i actually came from the ground up and i worked my way from the ground up i didn't just go from school to university and do a degree in landscape architect or, or architecture or whatever like i've actually come in as a horticultural apprentice i've done my time i've worked my way up into landscape construction and then i've advanced through to garden design so yep. i actually think that you need both because you can have... get off the fence get off the fence <laughs> you can't yeah, i'd you say can that have, you can have a garden designer who can come up with the most amazing shapes and, and hardscape elements and everything like that but if they don't know plants then their design will never go anywhere and it'll look horrible you might as well just yep. get concrete and paint it green yeah however if you get a gardener with no design flair to just work on creating your garden yeah, the, the soil quality would be great, the plant health and all that kind of stuff will be amazing, but you could have a garden filled with like golden osmas and nandinas with yuccas in there because they might not have the right idea on, and I slag them off in every podcast and I will not change that because they're just... <laughs> yuccas? <laughs> or the, I'm, I'm surprised about the nandinas and the diosmas. Okay, diosmas are very hard to prune, and so I don't like having them in gardens, but... The Mandina's odd, the odd Mandina can can float by, and I am um, known to use them on a couple of designs. But I just like yuccas are just the most horrible thing in the world. Um, they are, yeah, hundred percent. Everyone agrees on that. I don't even know why. Yeah, I listen to your um, podcast with um, with Chloe because she's just down the road in Hurstbridge. She's not too far from me, and and I was quite happy when she said uh, yuccas would be one of her ones to go. I thought, yep, yeah. because we have a very different style. But I thought, yep, yeah, no, it's good. At least we agree on that. I think just about everybody agrees on that, right? I don't yeah. know because there's a few things like, okay, so my mum's garden is filled with yuccas and I keep trying to tell her to get rid of them and they're massive, right? It's, they've been in for 10, 12 years, right? Mm-hmm. I've offered to get rid of them, right? I'm not like she could, she doesn't have to pay, right? But she's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know why. She's the only person who I've talked to who's not like, oh, just get rid of them, rip them out. They're disgusting, you know? Yeah. In fact, I did a quote where um, I got the address wrong. <laughs> um, the oh. there was one there was one house. I was I think I was going to number five, right? Yeah. And I drove past a house and it didn't have a number. And the next house had number three, so I was like, "This must be number five. And I go and knock on the door. No one answers. I call the client. And I'm like, "Hey, I'm at the front of your house. Like, no worries, I come out." Anyway, so I'm waiting for them to come out. This garden, I would say, fifteen yuccas in thirty-five square meters. I don't know why, right? Like, and I'm just thinking they must be asking me to rip them all out. I'm thinking, well, at least it's the front yard. We'll get the bobcat. And the guy calls me back. He's like, where are you? I'm, like, I'm at the front. I was like, oh, it's, I got it the wrong way around. It was two houses down, right? And I was like, praise the Lord. <laughs> like, uh, he has, I he had bucks his edges. No, no, no. I was like, ripping them out. Yeah. I was thinking like, how do I get, like this is not really a job for me. This is a job for a bobcat and, and like an yeah. excavation company. You know what I mean? Like I can cut one out if you needed to. But anyway, I just was thinking. I was like, who came up with this idea of like think about like the very front verge? I've got to try and explain this to everybody. Very you front verge. Came up with the idea of them, yeah. 
Who, no, but like of this specific garden. Do you? Oh, I mean, sorry. do you know? <laughs> yeah, no, not not that garden in particular. But I, I, I honestly think I could trace it back. And I don't know, know him personally, so I don't want to throw him under the bus. But it's because of Jamie Jury. So we have a house in development out here. Yeah, okay. That came to life the same time as Backyard Blitz. And at the time of Backyard Blitz, it was the black mulch, the white pebbles, and the yuccas. And if you go through this house interstate through Doreen just down the road from me, it's white pebbles, black mulch, yuccas. And it's only over the last right. five years people have started to remove them all. So, yeah, we have Backyard Blitz to thank for that one. Did he do agaves too? Probably, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, that's his, it, yeah. I mean... Yeah, I can't remember the name of them, but I've talked about them before because there's like heaps of different agaves, right? But there's mm. ones that sort of grow on the end of, uh, yeah, they start off on the ground, but they sort of grow up like they have a trunk, and then they've got yeah. the growth on the end of them, and they are they are snail magnets, right? And then once you know the leaf gets eaten, you know it's done. You can't really just yeah, you got to get rid of the leaf. But they always plant next to the garden and they lean out into the garden because they're chasing sunlight and obviously yeah. oh, sorry, lean out into the lawn because they're chasing the sunlight and obviously they're planted next to a house they're, they're also some of the things that I hate the most but back to this specific garden I was talking about like imagine probably an area that you could park two cars on side by side and someone's just planted three rows of maybe five or six yuccas each or something like that okay. as if it as if you would plant it like a like a hedge you know or something yeah. like that and they're probably as tall as me. Some of them, some of them probably, you know, chest height. I was just like, who? I, I, like, what? Like, I just couldn't imagine who came up with that. It's obviously a homeowner's done it at some point, but what is the worst? Doc Barnett was working in WA. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, oh, poor Joe. I was going to say. <laughs> What is the worst thing you've ever come across going to someone's um, house that you've had to deal with? I had a client, it was probably when I was still trying to make my name and, and my reputation for my style. Um, and I had a yeah. client contact me there only 10 minutes down the road, so I went to look at it. And they wanted me to uh, install fake turf, yuccas, black mulch and white pebbles. And it was on a main road. And I just said, look, I'm sorry for wasting your time, but it, it's not for me. Um, and he goes, well, I'm the client. That's what I want. And I said, I understand that. And I apologize for wasting your time. Um, here's a recommendation for someone who will do it. But I'm Was not it Joel Barnett? Hungry. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, people, people who don't have it listened to our podcast, I think he's going to be the dodgiest guy the ones I've seen. Yeah, no, that's it. Yeah. That's funny that he, like, because we, we do that all the time. Because uh, I would say eighty percent of our requests are for people who we can't help, right? Because yep. they just want a once off, or they want, <clears throat> you know, a fortnightly cut, and that's it. And we just go, "Hey, look, we don't do that type of work," you know. And they're like, "Oh yeah, no worries." I wonder, uh, do you think it's because he just there's some clients they can't be bothered asking for multiple quotes. They never tell you that, but they're just like, oh, they're just too lazy to no, even organize that. Quite open. I think he, and I think another thing too was he told me I was the fifth person he'd have come out to look at it and give him a prize. Ooh, thought, really? You're going to go through that's, five quote? Like alarm bells are ringing. Yeah. I had a lady call me up a couple of months ago, right? And she, uh, now, it's annoying. There's a turf farm that gives out my phone number on very weird and random occasions, right? We've had like an admin team for like seven or eight years, right? 
Like I don't answer the call. I don't know what the schedule is. I don't know anything. But like maybe three or four times a year, randomly I get calls from someone who's like, hey, the turf hunt gave me a number. Do you like lawn? And we don't even do it anymore. And this lady, she calls me up and uh, so I answer the phone and she's like, hey, I'm just chasing a quote. And she's like, oh, okay, you've got your the phone number from the turf hunt. No worries. We don't do the work anymore. She's like, oh, well, can you recommend somebody? I said, yeah, she said, everybody who I've contacted has got a massive wait time. And I was like, that's what the industry's like at the moment and blah, blah. And she's just like, oh, I just feel like everyone's trying to rip me off. And anyways, I go, oh, interesting. What sort of prices are you getting charged? And I decided to be like an advocate for everybody else. And the prices she would charge, I thought were cheap. And I was, I told her. And I was like, I think, honestly, I like, no, I don't mean to be really disrespectful. I don't say everyone's got a, got a budget. But uh, if you're hiring somebody who's charging less than $100 an hour, you're, you're probably hiring someone who's either very, very new in the industry or very, very desperate in the industry. And the reason is roughly a business should be charging roughly three times what they are paying their employees. And if you're paying somebody, you know, 20-something dollars an hour, they're, they're in this market, they're, you know, yeah, I don't need to say anymore. And so she, <laughs> she understood it and... I, I was like, well, hopefully I changed her mind. She's going to call somebody else back up. But anyways, so <clears throat> yeah, you get people like that. It is a hard one in this industry. I, I don't think this industry has the respect that it deserves. And I think mm. because it is a low level entry industry for certain aspects of the business um, and after – like, you know, it doesn't take much for a TV show to come on and kind of showcase landscape gardening and people think, I'm going to go and do that, mm-hmm. um, that it kind of, there are people that just chase um, the cheapest rate and, and you yep. don't realise that, you know, with years of experience, you know, it comes a cost. Well, this is why, coming back to my question, what's more important, good design or good maintenance? I'm on the maintenance side. Right. Yeah, but if you think a good design is expensive, you should see how bad, how expensive a bad design is, which is the old saying, because it's so true. Oh yeah, I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about design, as in. I sorry, I am talking about. I'm not talking about price, right? What I'm saying is, for the longevity of a garden, because what people do, right, is, if you stuff up a really bad design, at least it a good maintenance like so the homeowner does it themselves and it's just they screw everything up right yeah. somebody who knows how to solve their problems can at least keep their garden alive but someone yeah. what i find happens is people have this uh intensity over consistency mindset where they're like i'm gonna spend a lot of money to fix this problem and then i won't have to worry about it again and then we get called two years later because they spent a lot of money designing the garden and then they just let it go, right? And they didn't do the yeah. maintenance. And it's like, what are you doing? Like, you can't yeah. fix it once. And so, I mean, it comes across, why we, why we defend people is it comes across as they're like, you're poo-pooing the, the design side, right? But, and there's construction as well. I've missed that because you could have a good design from a great yeah. designer and then a construction guy cuts corners on it, right? But I'm talking about- There's always so much- from a maintenance point of view, like if your if your install team has just planted in heavy clay and done nothing to actually fix an issue, then what do you do with a maintenance point of view? You got to pop everything That's out, true. redo it all, and then it's an, it's another install. Yeah, what's clay? <laughs> what's sand? 
<laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, show you. I'm gonna put a story up actually. Do you know, I'll do it. I'll do it straight after this. Of I was fixing sprinklers today, and um, obviously, you know, wetting everything, and we had this massive puddle of just it was just like it looked like playground sand. Oh yeah. man, it was. And I was like hi- highlighting how hydrophobic it's all the soil is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I guess he, hearing you say that as well does click into my mind where I'm like, mm, there's some problems that you guys probably have that we don't have because you can plant into sand and you can resurrect it with wetting agents and fertilizers and, and you can add organic matter to the sand and improve it over time. But you're right, with clay... With with you, us down here, if you don't... And drainage, people are always the first one to scrap drainage because they think, do I really need to spend five grand on drainage? If you don't put drainage in and you install a $200,000 landscape... You're going to do so much damage to that landscape coming back through to install the drainage at a later date. And sure. down here, we don't need to worry about drainage. Yeah. See, that's the okay. Here we go. This shows my inexperience and in what you guys do because I've never thought about drainage, right? Mm. I mean, everything just goes through the sand. So yeah. that's fine, right? Mm. That's interesting. So I guess, I mean, you are right in the answer and I don't, I, you know, it's an interesting thought experiment, which is why I don't like the sitting on the fence, right? Even yeah. though we know the sitting on the fence is probably the correct thing because you would have design and then you have construction and then you have the maintenance side. But I sort of feel like a really good ma- garden maintenance crew. And that's why I was asking you is you sort of got a foot in everything. And so you sort of, there isn't a yeah. bias like I would have because I don't touch the other two. But yeah, you know, a really but, good maintenance guy could maybe fix some mistakes, you know? Yeah, but it, and I think it probably, again, comes down to the different areas of the country too because, like, you're a completely different country over there compared to what we're dealing with here um, because, like I said, the drainage is the biggest one and if the install team doesn't do that, then the maintenance team, how do you fix that without damaging everything? Yeah, true. And far north Queensland, Darwin's yeah. a different world as well. Like absolutely. So I think you've got three to have a completely different types of places. Yeah, I think you've got to have a mixture of all three. One of my favourite um, garden designers is Miles Baldwin. Do you know Miles? Yeah, I don't. I, I'm. I learnt of him through Craig and Craig from Southercross Gardens and Nick Frame because yeah. he designed one of their gardens. Yeah, and Craig I'll ask him to come on one day. Yeah, Craig maintained it for a while. Um, I remember watching all these photos he put up. It was beautiful. So Miles is is one of my favorite garden designers, and I think the reason why I like Miles so much is because Miles is a gardener. So he came from, right. and he's a real he's a real gardener. Like he is a traditional gardener, where he came from the ground up and he worked through the botanical gardens. And his yep. plant knowledge and his horticultural expertise is better than you know, anyone, um, and, I, and it really shows in his gardens. What do you – so with him and with yourself, how important is having just years under the belt compared to the book knowledge? Um, good question. I So when it comes to plant names, for argument's sake, my Latin is absolutely shocking which is your book knowledge side of things. But if I go to a nursery, I can look at pretty much any plant and know um, how it's going to work, how to prune it, when to prune it. Um, So that, that, yeah, I don't know. There's a, there's a side, I don't want to be on the fence again, but there's a side there for that argument too, because I, and I do think, I think you need to have hands on experience because you know, you can, I can write on a whiteboard, 
this is a spade and this is how you dig a hole. But then if I give you a spade and tell you to dig me a hole, well, do you know how to do it type thing? So it's, you've got to have a bit of both there as well. I hope you would know how to dig a hole. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think my kids are doing that when I came home. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, that's, <laughs> like, that's a pretty natural. Like we worked that out. My dog does. Saying that, but like we both we both laugh about that. And um, I can remember three different incidents where I've had someone. I've walked around the corner and someone's digging a hole with a square mouth, and they are going at snail's yeah. pace. And I look at them and go, "Really? Like." Shovel spade. This is a this is another argument too. Actually, I'm cu- curious to get your thoughts on this because I don't know if it's just a Victorian thing, but I was told that the difference between a shovel and a spade is a spade you dig with, and you know a shovel you shovel with. Yeah. So if you're digging a hole, then you get a spade. But then I've also yeah. learned, depending on what you call a tool, um, is whether or not you're a landscaper or a gardener, because landscapers will just call everything a shovel. Um, whereas a gardener, oh, no. no, yeah, they're not all shovels. That's it. Yeah. No way. I that's a landscaper. I was going to say what you call a tool is probably Joel Barnett. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm Did throwing him on the I'm bus. Getting, Poor I've Joel. been waiting a while, but he's getting his revenge. Which is good. He's out. got 130 something episodes, or 140 maybe now. Where he's <laughs> he can throw. But what I love, what I love is Joel listens to podcasts like non-stop so i know he's going to listen to this he's going to cough and every five minutes it's great you know let's not tell him neither of us will tell him we'll just (laughs) wait we'll just wait for the message to come screenshot and share it to our stories Uh, (laughs) no um no they're definitely different and and uh the only two okay here's the debate long handled or short handled right we can talk about it in a second but i uh, here's my thoughts a a rounded shovel is one of the most useless things and a trencing shovel is one of the most useless things all you need in my opinion is a nice big square mouth shovel for when you're spreading sand you know it's nice soft pile of sand that's been delivered on the front you know yard you got to get in your wheelbarrow that's for that and then you need a spade that is for digging you know something out of the ground that's all you need right are you do, do you agree with me Pretty much, but I would use a long handle um, spade. I use that for when I'm shoveling up the wheelbarrow. And then I have border spades, which I use in between the garden beds because my plantings are so dense. Oh, the little skin, skinny ones? Yeah, so just like a short handle um, spade. I use that in the in the borders for planting. Yep, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that makes sense because the other thing about a spade, you guys do a lot of planting. We don't do a lot of planting. A normal spade's too fat for some applications yeah. but I, for me a trenching shovel with the big sides i don't understand it because if you're digging a trench that's already in sand or you know okay maybe this is the set maybe it's a clay thing i don't know you I tell just, me but... it might just be the sand thing because it just collapses over there whereas here we can dig it with a trenching shovel we can dig a perfect trench with that that's it okay that's that's the difference right because for speed's sake if I'm yeah. cutting a trench, if I let's say I've got to add a sprinkler, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to cut a trench. I'm using a nice sharp spade to cut nice squares of the lawn out and then place yeah. them to the side so I can relay that lawn back down again. You can't do that with a trenching shovel. I so would still do the same with that, yeah. So, but you've already what I'm getting at is you've already cut out the lawn at the width of the shovel. Yeah. 
oh, you know, the spade, you know. Now, see, now I'm mixing them up. I told you people don't do that, but now I'm doing it myself. <laughs> but at the width of the spade, you've, you've, you've cut it out and then you post it to the site. You may as well dig it at that width anyway. And then, yeah, if you're if you do a trenching, yeah, it just collapses, and you got to keep digging. I actually think you do more or just as much sand removal with a trenching shovel here in WA as you do with a normal normal spade. Just use a spade. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, clay. See, this is this is the thing about this podcast. Like, I started the podcast because there was all these. I was sick of getting American advice and European yeah. advice, and it was all useless. And I just stumbled my way through many years of of you know my business and and garden stuff and all that jazz because it's just you know it's just so unique and even yeah. here, here i'm like giving advice that i realize after you, you speak for about three seconds is pretty useless for you guys yeah well i mean it depends it's like you said you've got you guys you've got us and and um then you've got queensland as well like tropical queensland it's completely different like my wife had moved to port heartbeat <laughs> if, if i said yes but um, I'd have to change careers because I don't know a single thing about tropical plants. We're trying to make that look good. <laughs> yeah, no that's idea. actually good. that's actually quite true. I think you can get away with it. So with lawns, you can get away with it, right? Yeah. It's so much easier to teach people about lawns because yeah, yeah, they they're all quite similar. As soon as you get into plants, you got thousands and thousands and thousands of different varieties and oh yeah absolutely and, and i've got what things. i like and, and what works for me so today for argument's sake i'm um <clears throat> excuse me i'm doing a uh, garden rejuvenation revamp on a wedding reception um in the yarrow valley and there's the original potter's quarter, uh, quarters there which is this beautiful old cottage um where I, i'm doing my style so i've got my salvias and i've got some um some you know traditional cottage plants going in there yep and then there's a native billabong out the other side of the property where we've got to plant natives around it. I was in and out in in five minutes with the cottage. I just bang, yep, 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 loaded up two trolleys, done. The native, I was probably there for 45 minutes walking around scratching my head going, I've got no idea what to do here or, yeah, I, I figured it out so it will look nice, but it's not my style. So it's it's another learning. Yep. I mean, so I've been a little bit background stuff. I've been making these these garden packages. Uh, we do garden packages, but I wanted to make a better way of of planning around them. And I wanted to be like, because some of the problems we've had is you look at a garden and you go, okay, this needs this, this needs that, this needs that. And then you've got to have some time for just random stuff that comes up. So maybe start getting some bugs you got to treat or, you know, maybe – the park across the road has a lot of trees that are deciduous and you didn't think about that, which means you got to spend a lot of time cleaning them up and things like that. So I was like, oh, how do I cut these things better? And could I make a list of like all the requirements of all the most common plants that we get? And I start making this list sort of in my head and it's like, okay, your hedges, okay, lily pillies need this and this needs that. And, and you start going down the list. It's like, there are so many plants. I went on Benara's website which is like the biggest whole they're, okay, they're the biggest wholesale nursery in the country and they're based here in WA. Yeah. And they've got like two thousand six hundred plants they sell. Yeah. Right? And I go there and I go to their indoor section, mm-hmm. right? And they are missing so many things compared to like there's a guy who's a specialist indoor stuff down the road like well, not down the road, like the half an hour away from them. But what I'm getting at is they have so many varieties of plants, but they're only really selling what's really, really commercially 
you know, good to oh, go. Yeah. I'm like, how do you, how can you possibly make it a formula for every single plant with every single climate? You just can't. Like it's, and then you just go down the path of, well, then how helpful is the book knowledge? Because it might have been written from somebody who was in Northern Queensland. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't yeah, well that's true yeah and it comes down to um to the area that you're in and, and and what works and grows there because if i try and take some of the stuff from north queensland and grow it not that i would and grow it down here so and again i don't have it anymore because i've built a name and i've built a, a style and a reputation of that style but when i first went out on my own i'd have clients call me up and go oh, i want a tropical garden yeah why oh because we've just been to bali for three months and we loved it it's great in Bali, but you live in the Yarra Valley and we get this thing called frost here and it's not <laughs> going to work. Like it's yeah. just, you know, you might get a 70, 80% success rate, but that, you know, 20 to 30% that does get knocked on the head, it just takes away from it. It's just, to me, it's like, you've got to work with your area and work with your environment. Do you know what annoys me is uh, now funny. you say, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, poor Joel. Uh, no, he doesn't actually. He's quite a nice guy. Uh, no, that's not the brand of the. No, yeah, he annoys me. He's a horrible human being. Uh, no, the, the. What annoys me is when people plant natives next to tropical things, right? And they pretend they're being water wise. And you're like, okay. you have. They're on the same zone. They're on the same sprinkler zone, you know? Yeah. Or you got, you've got your Kaikuya lawn, right? Which is, you know, a fairly drought horn or whatever, but. You've got your kaikuyu lawn and your sprinkler goes into your garden bed. You're already yeah. watering it to support the kaikuyu. And then you go, I'll put some natives in to be water-wise. <laughs> you could put pretty much anything in. <laughs> you know, if yeah, you're already watering, exactly. at yeah. least 60% of all plants that have ever existed will survive on the same amount of water that your lawn will. You yeah, know what I mean? And, and like I've seen the quality of the lawns that you guys are producing too. Like, you know, they're that's not just a lay turf and then forget about it. Like that's an ongoing which is obviously what you guys do, an ongoing maintenance package, which requires watering. So, yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. And that, so I was thinking about the tropical stuff because you, you people start, and, and I talked about this, I think it was with, I might've been with Joel actually in the very nice <laughs> podcast with you with a very nice man. I feel like I have to now. <laughs> I feel so sorry for him. I'm uh, actually friends with him. We're, we're going out for dinner shortly actually. So I, um, yeah, just for the record, he is a good guy. Well, I've only talked to him on the phone a couple of times, so maybe that's why I can't be so brutal. Uh, but I definitely would be in person. Uh, no, the uh, he was saying that uh, a lot of the tropical – I like tropical gardens over here, but I feel like because you had to put a lot of work into it, I realized people who have to put a lot of work into it to make it work probably did a lot of soil prep and they actually made things, you know, that they did some preparation. Whereas the native gardens here become just like – it's just some homeowner who's thrown some things in the backyard. They weren't designed yeah. by anybody. Whereas when somebody wanted tropical, they realized they had to go get somebody who actually knew what they were doing, right? Yeah. So maybe, you know, there's, there's a few things like that, but we get it all the time where someone's got, yeah, just a plant that is just, what are you, like, what, what are you doing? I had somebody plant a polygala in the middle of their lawn and their lawn, the section of the lawn is like maybe eight meters by eight meters and they've put this tiny little polygala in the middle and I'm like, Why? What are you like? Do you know how big that's going to get? <laughs> like, it looks small now. And how much maintenance are you going to have to pay me to? Yeah. So, what were you saying? <laughs> it's just a cute little feature to put in the middle of the lawn, make your yeah. life harder. Exactly. <laughs> and then yeah. they had 
what was even worse is they for somehow attached one of those little spaghetti sprinkler like lines oh, yeah. with a dripper to it. Right, the middle of the lawn was already being watered. Yeah, and of course I start whipping, whippersnipping, and I'm trying to now like lower my revs not to break the spaghetti line. Yeah, which doesn't even need to be there. Yeah, I'm just having a, I'm having a rant at you now. Anyway, <laughs> get it off your chest, mate. <laughs> yeah, are you okay? No. <laughs> Somebody put a spaghetti. Can you? This is like this is like oh god, it's therapy. Someone put a native in that sprinkler yeah, zone, exactly. trying to getting their saving water. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, one thing. It, it's so you go, you go. I look at WA and I'm just like, to me, it'd be such a you know, like in, in general, like it would be a struggle unless I was on site to kind of figure it out. Um, one of my favorite designers, Bonnie Stacy, she's based over in WA and she does amazing work and, and she uses a lot of the plants that I use as well. So, um, you know, there's hope for me yet. And I've had, uh, three design inquiries come over from Perth actually. So there is a chance we might be heading over there to look at doing some, um, some kitchen gardens over there. So, yeah, I, that was the next I was going to ask you about, but Bonnie Stacy, I actually recorded a podcast with her. That was so bad. I didn't really Oh, I heard you say this. Yeah. Like bad, wasn't quality, because... bad quality. It was like a quality? it was like a six second delay. Oh, it bad. would be like she would talk and we're in the same state. I don't know why. I yeah. anyways, it was disappointing because I wanted to we we had done some preparation and I'd be like, hey, this is the question I want to talk about. I want to go through design stuff and really talk to you about how you go about things because I'm so clueless and start talking. It was like talk, I can see her mouth moving. And now the sound comes through, and then I would talk like an old kung fu movie. And then now the sound comes through, and it was like we. I was like, oh, maybe we can record, and I'll I'll fix it in the edit. And I got about like forty five seconds in. I was like, yeah, you just can't, you just can't do it. Anyway, but yeah, she her style is so different to yours as well because she's super coastal. <clears throat> yeah, um, there's there's some plans. Well, in saying that, but like I think. Um... I think Bonnie is very clever because the way that she's done her ebooks, like she has cottage style gardens on there. She has she has different style gardens um, and different styles of those gardens for the different climates from around the country. So she's she's very clever, Bonnie. And then teamed up with her husband John, um, who does the install with Bruce Landscapes. Like it's a a very good little system they've got going on over there. Yeah, they've monopolised everything there. They just need to have their children grow up older so they can do all the maintenance side after. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Did you know that um, about her that I didn't know until I recorded a the start of a very bad podcast was that <laughs> she's a landscape designer. I think her sister is an interior designer and I think she said her brother is an architect. It's yeah, something like that. Right. Yeah, or her dad's yeah. an architect or something and they all yeah. went into some form of design. So I was like, man, yeah, you could all like, team up, do everything. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's uh, it's obviously in the blood over there. Yeah, they could offer like a one stop shop, couldn't they? Yeah, I wonder if that would get like uh, too much. Do you know what I mean? Like working with your I, I, a spouse or a close friend just gets too. Oh, I did my apprenticeship with my father. I worked for my um, father for oh, geez, probably twelve years before I went out on my own. Yeah, right. 
Yeah, so with him, no dramas. And then it was when my brother started coming to the prisons that we start to clash. There you go. Yeah, yeah. see, there you go. See, because yeah. I think with your father, there's that dynamic where he's the boss and then it's his business. Correct. And then your brothers come in and then it's sort of like, who's the boss? You know, yeah. or I'm not taking anything from you. You're my brother, you know? Exactly. And that's what it was. And it, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll stay professional and tell what happened. But yeah, it was, uh, was the big clash there, that's for sure. Ah, yeah, that's a shame as well. My brother works for me. Um, but oh, really? he's also yeah, but he's at he's at university, so he only does casual laboring stuff. And he's funny because he is so he's a musician, right? Yeah. And he's studying music. So he's so far from gardening that yeah. it's like um he just has he has no technical knowledge, he has no interest in the industry, but he doesn't mind getting out, you know, and jumping a whippy and yeah, it's probably a nice break for him. In terms of the style of work, fits in with his uni. That's fine. Why whippy so weird when you guys say whippy? I've never heard that before. I listened to the podcast. And I was like, oh, "What do you call so it? A brush cutter." Cutter. <laughs> okay, so you go to Buddings and you buy what type of brush that you cut it with? <laughs> like... I'd never buy a brush cutter from Bunnings. <laughs> no, no. But what I'm saying is, you got your, you've already got your whippy. Yeah. Right. You cut plants and lawns and things with. You don't cut brushes. <laughs> Like you don't get a paintbrush, stick it in the ground, cut it with your weaver zipper. Is it potato you know cake it or potato brush? scallop? Uh, it's a hash brown, isn't that what it is? <laughs> okay. I'm trying to be, <laughs> I'm trying to be neutral, but it's a completely different thing. <laughs> you said scallop. I was going to say that's the end of this interview. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. <laughs> to be honest, I don't even know because that wasn't they something don't sell my mum ever cooked. Um, yeah. Yeah, they answer that KFC or the local <laughs> kebab shops. <laughs> got, I'm getting no idea. You know, is that a Coles? Quickly, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn this around and interview you quickly because I listened to your podcast and there's questions there which I'm curious to know. How how big is your company? Okay, that's a good question. We just changed everything up. So okay. over the last six months, the biggest we got to was we had about 13 employees at the biggest. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, so here's some vanity numbers for you. And you know all about this because I've listened to your podcast with the very honorable Sir Lord Joel Barnett. Uh, <laughs> um, so we had, there was a year that we did like 1,600 clients we served in a year. Yep. Bunch of people, thousands of phone calls, doing all that sort of stuff. We were trying to go down the path at the time. This is probably 2021, mm-hmm. something like that. We we're trying to go down the path of upper middle class, targeting that. So you still have the economies of scale, but people who have a big enough budget. And there is a market for that in Perth, which is FIFO workers. So yep. we weren't doing complete packages back then. We were happy to take on monthly mowing, happy to take on fortnightly mowing, you know, every, gardening every six to eight weeks if it's just, you know, a native garden that needs it. You know, like as long as you're a good payer, good client, we're happy to take that on. And then hire people. This was a strategy. Hire people who were pretty good, even who had no experience but were interested and you could yeah. train them up. We had all the vanity numbers. We didn't have the profit margins. Right, and we were charging. We were aiming to average eighty-eight dollars an hour over the fortnight, so including all travel time, equipment maintenance, go to the shops, everything. So our time on site was over a hundred dollars now. Right, and we were getting like the results from the clients were happy, but we just couldn't find that level of staff. 
So then 2022, oh, end of 2021, end of year 2021, sorry, we were like, let's downsize a little bit. So we moved on some of our lower end clients. We had some big commercial clients and um, we'll hire, we'll increase our hourly rate. We'll hire slightly better people if we can. And we hired a guy, a fantastic guy, former golf course superintendent. And this is when we started focusing more on this sort of stuff. So then we probably had about nine, eight, nine employees at that stage. That guy, um, he ended up getting a, uh, how do I put this nicely? Oh, not nicely, succinctly. It's nice. I wasn't trying to, um, he got an injury. I wasn't trying to insult him, but he got a, he got an injury, was on workers comp. And long story short was that he, it was supposed to be a 12 week injury. And then it was like, oh, at the end of 12 weeks, oh, he's not quite better. Come back in two to four weeks. And every two to four weeks, it was come back another two to four weeks. And so we mm-hmm. never felt like we could replace him. Mm-hmm. That was April of 2022. Yep. He's still in workers' compensation. Mm-hmm. So it's like coming up to a year and a half. Yeah. Um, he still technically works for us, but back in March, it was said, it was said with the doctor, just, yeah, we saw it coming by February. But late January, we started trying to replace him because it was just a fantastic guy. I mean, it was one of the things that like, if he sucked, we would have just replaced him, but we just kept trying to hold on to him. So we made the decision in March. We had the craziest week. I've never talked about this on the podcast before. So good question. Thank you. We had the craziest week where <clears throat> the guy that we were supposed to replace him with, 20 years experience in the industry, he worked at King's Park, worked race courses. So he had gardening knowledge. He had a four-year um, apprenticeship, like proper one. You know, really good on paper. Three weeks in, he comes to me. Actually, you know, I have a meeting with him on a Monday. I'm like, how are you going? And I said something to right, right, so I'm really asking him some honest questions, right? It's too physical for him. He's in his 40s now, and he didn't want to tell me, but I really got it out of him. <clears throat> Next morning, I wake up to a bunch of messages. His wife has been rushed to hospital with a suspected heart attack. I'm like, okay, interesting. He's going to quit, Right. You know, don't think about yourself. This guy's had a heart attack, but he didn't say, but I just knew from the conversation and the situation, he's he's feeling overworked because he's come last sort of five years, he's had, you know, light maintenance jobs and we do a lot of working and it's hot. And so that happens. <clears throat> Anyways, I know in the back of my head, this other guy, the main guy, he's not going to last long. You know, we have a lot of admin we've taken us forever to find, you know how hard it is to find good stuff. You know, we've had this job up for a month. We're not going to be able to replace this guy. So I'm doing the maths in my head. I know this guy's going to quit. 99% sure. Sure enough, 10.30, he calls me. He goes, man, this, she turned out to be okay as far as I'm uh, I'm aware now. But um, it was a bit of a scare and he just goes, I've got to get a job that's, you know, less physical for me. I said, no worries. Um, totally understand your decision. You know, you got to make the best decision for yourself. That put me in a position that I got to make a decision. Am I going to try and rush and hire someone to replace now two people? Because this, I know this guy's, you know, or do we just completely downsize? And my health was starting to get better at this stage. So I called up the admin and I said, you girls, 
you know, you know the situation we're in. You got two decisions. You can take a pay cut down to thirty percent of your current hours and current wage. So the same hourly rate, but we can only afford thirty percent, right? Or you can take a redundancy. You know, you don't deserve this. It's got nothing to do with you. We just don't have the staff. We're not going to be able to find the staff because we've been losing money. Uh, here's a concept for people very briefly. You, If you have a business that has 10 employees and you make 10% profit margin, you lose one employee, you've lost all your profit margin in a sense because that's 10% of all the work you're, you're doing is done. That was our problem. We were running down on people. And um, so we're like, we have to downgrade our, you know, non-billables and all that sort of stuff. So we said it to our admin staff and I was like, I'll take on more admin work to cover things. That's your options. Both of them came back and said, we'll take the redundancy, which I thought they would. And that was a shame because they're both fantastic. So we lost three people in two days. While this was going on, two weeks earlier, I had a conversation with a casual guy and he was getting four or five days a week. He's like, oh, coming into winter, how much work am I going to get? Well, I said, oh, probably three or four days. And he goes, I think I sort of need five. And I try and have these open, honest conversations with people because I'm like, you can do what's best for you. Just keep me in the loop, right? Yeah. Like I don't want someone pulling the pin out of me. And um, I was like, if somebody offers you a better job, come talk to me. You know, like this guy had kids, right? So I'm not going to argue with him about money. He's got to pay bills, right? He doesn't know anything else. He's been off work. He calls me up. He's like, I've just been offered a job, $10 an hour more, right? And I was like, I didn't tell him. You have my blessing, you can go, you know? So I was like, interesting. Okay, maybe that's a bit of a God thing. I'm a Christian, so I think that way. So, But anyway, so, okay, interesting. I've lost four people in now two days. We go have a team meeting <clears throat> the next day. Uh, yeah, Timmy in the next day, straight after the team meeting, the uh, Doug, who was the, the gardener who was working for us, the um, when the injury goes to the doctor and the doctor says, you have to quit. Well, not you have to quit. You have to leave the industry. You can't do it anymore. And then after all that craziness, so five people in three days, one of our other team members go, this is too crazy. I'm going somewhere else. I was like, totally understand. But we, re we went from nine employees to three employees in five business days, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> craziest week I've ever had wow. in business. And this was recent. That was in March. You know, wow. that was four weeks before I started the podcast. I was already putting into work the things to do the podcast. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I'd already messaged Ben Sims. He knew that was happening. I had the logo. I'd done this and that. And I was like, I'm going to still do the podcast, <laughs> right? And uh, I've been basically working till 11 o'clock basically every night ever since. Uh, not really. <laughs> it's like... Um, so you're, so you're now back on the tools too because I, I listened to your podcast and again, I've heard in previous episodes that you had um, an injury come through and you uh, you had to get off the tools. So I think it yep. must have been with your business coach and that's where you're trying to scale up so that you could get off the tools and step backwards. But it sounds like you're now back on the tools. Is that right? Yes. So I have, <clears throat> I have an autoimmune disease called ankylosing spondylitis uh, or AS for short. And I went from being on the tools and I love being on the tools. I love working outside. And I couldn't do the work anymore. At my absolute worst, and this wasn't like on a daily basis, but um, every day I had problems and it fluctuates because autoimmune. But my absolute worst, I couldn't drive a car with a clutch for very far because it was too painful to push the clutch in. I couldn't sit wow. down in proper chairs for about. I, I there were seasons where I didn't leave the house except 
to go to Coles, uh, not KFC, <laughs> but to go to Coles or to go to the warehouse. That's all I would I would do. I would like it for weeks, you know, because that's how bad my health was. I don't really talk about this too much because, anyways, yeah, you've asked. But um, so I was really bad at my absolute worst. I did about 20 paid hours worth of work in two and a half years. So wow. on the tools, and I would say 12 of those 20 hours were on a Kanga. So I was just standing up driving a machine. And uh, I might have done a little bit of like, oh, I'm at a job, I'll edge while I'm here. Like everyone's verting mowing, I'll jump on the whippy or whatever. And then the other bunch of the time is I helped out with rose pruning. Uh, and I used um, some battery rose pruners because even my hands were, I had problems. And I started getting better and I started getting better about exactly a year ago. So I'd had six months of improvement and I had my first solo day back on the tools February this year. And so this all happened in, this happened in March. And in my back of my head, I was like, I think I can do a day a week. I think I can do two days a week. It's coming into winter. I'll focus on my health as much as possible. We'll see how we go in spring. And um, I've done 23,000 steps today or something like that. So my health is insanely good compared to where it was before. And it's, uh, yeah, I mean, so that's my story. But the business side of it, the the two mistakes that we made, not mistakes, but the first thing is you don't want to grow too quick. But I was forced to grow quickly because – if you're doing, let's say, let's go back to 10% profit margin, if you because it's nice, easy round numbers. But if you want a 10% profit margin and you want to earn $100,000 a year, you need to do a million dollars a year worth of work, right? Mm-hmm. Just that's just how it is. So that's what the strategy essentially was get into the millions. So that, you know, and that's why we're going for the upper middle class market because there was enough work there to sustain that. Yeah. And then this next strategy was let's go a little bit lower so we don't have as many bad staff to deal with. Um, but high profit margin. And then now it's like, I have a bunch of work. <laughs> yeah, I don't have enough staff. Yeah, We were so brutal and we just said to everybody, you're getting massive pay rises. I was in the, the clients. You're going to have to pay way, way more. We don't have the staff. We're not looking for them. If you like the people that we still have, you know, and we were very respectful about it. We helped people find, but we went from doing crazy amounts of requests to we just have a very small we kept our absolute cream of the crop and and uh, i just work at my own pace now and uh yeah so that's my thanks for coming to my show and tell uh, everybody <laughs> well I've, i listened like i said i actually listened to the podcast so i'm just curious because I, i've got a follow-up question here too and that is because you're talking numbers and i hear you say that you charging that hundred dollars an hour mark my question is, are your clients eight-hour clients or are they one-hour, two-hour, three-hour, four-hour? Okay. My average job size, I would say, is 45 minutes. Okay. Right? And yeah. that would be because of the packages. Our average most size would be about 25 minutes. Yeah. Right? And I also think that because because of that, we have a huge amount of travel time right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's common to do 15 jobs in a day or something like that. Um, so the what we do, this is why with my podcast, the, one of the early episodes is this is how you can work out what you should charge. And I don't recommend people just copy what we charge because there's a lot of things we do about it. But I mentioned the numbers that we charge because I think people put a ceiling on what they think they can earn in the industry. 
and then they go, oh, you couldn't earn this. And we come in and we go, all things said and done, over the course of a year, our packages should be earning us at least $130 an hour, at least, right? Some will be way more. So people go, no way, I can't believe it. It's like, yeah, it's it's possible. It's true. It's what happens. So, <clears throat> but the reason why I ask that because um, when I used to have the maintenance division of my company back when I had staff, um, I wouldn't do from a maintenance point of view. I wouldn't do anything that was less than half a day. And then after that, I got rid of that, and I wouldn't do clients that were anything less than a day, because we uh, would lose, we would lose too much time in the guys traveling around. And they'd yeah, have their downtime to travel from job to job because we're in a semi-rural area. So by the time they would come to the yard, load up, head out, you know, they'd stop at the shop, they'd grab a coffee and a donut, then they'd get to the job and then they'd, you know, do whatever, pack up, shoot through, stop at the servo, grab a Gatorade, go to the next job. Yes. My downtime, it, it wasn't there. So then I so I went, okay, well, I'm not taking on anything less than half a day with two guys because at that time we were running a maintenance crew of two. And then I found that wasn't working either. So then I went, okay, well, that's it. We're doing eight hours of um, – eight hours minimum crew of two. Um, but and, and even now, I could not charge $100 an hour, um, so say 220 for two guys per hour. I could not charge that on the big acreage jobs out here because you will still get someone out here that will come and do it for 60, well, not even that, $50 an hour. Um, and I and I saw on a Facebook yeah. post um, before I came on this podcast that there was a lady arguing with a client over gardening in um, in the Yarra Valley over $30 an hour. And I thought, $30 an hour? Like, really? Like, you know, and, I, and that's obviously not a professional system and a professional setup, but it's just such a hard market to crack from a money point of view, the maintenance, it's it's really, really tricky. It is incredibly difficult. So here's, here's two things that are going on that I notice. The first is we have a massive advantage over you in two ways. So it's not your fault that this is difficult or anybody else who's listening to this. The first is we have mining, right? Mm-hmm. Mining money, right? Yeah. Now, so do other places. All right, so it's not like you know we're the only people who have it, but we have mining money, and we target small blocks. So people who go out rural, they might have the same like your some of your clients might have a very similar amount of income as some of my clients, but you've got seventeen times more land to manage. So they look at my invoice and they go. Our average client is, <clears throat> let's say it's around $300 a month Yeah, is what they pay, right? We might only be there for two hours. They do yeah. not care. They're at work, right? Yeah. But we're doing things like aeration, weed control. We're organizing all their fertilizers, all their products, all that sort of stuff. And I think you are too as well. But like you, what I'm getting at for those, I'm now talking also to the people listening is that because it's so complicated and there's a lot of moving parts, they appreciate the administrative effort and the organization and timing everything right. And they don't see it in the same light where they're chasing how many dollars, you know, or how many minutes, as long yeah. as it falls within budget. So there's that side of it. The downside is here's a crazy number for you, right? Before everything happened in March, for every hour of gardening work, we were paying our staff we were paying 21 minutes of administration time. 
Yeah. It's like no, insane. And so it was an incredibly expensive business model because our number one goal was to uh, have the absolute best, easiest to organize service. And mm-hmm. that's why our clients gave us such good ratings. But that's also why the first thing that had to go was our admin had to drop down drastically. And yeah. so when you do this many services, it's like there's goods and bads with everything. I can totally see how your strategy is a real smart one because you're dealing with one client for two full people for a day. We would deal for two full people for a day. Here's an example. I worked with Elliot the other day. We did 54 different services, not at 54 properties. It might, yeah. might have been at four different properties. We might have done you know, 11 or 12 services each. No, wow. no, sorry. Other way around. Sorry. 12 properties, we did about four or five services each, right, where we're aerating, checking the sprinklers, fertilizing this and that, whatever. That's just huge admin to organize and everything. So I'm not trying to – the way we do it is a way that works, but you have to have the right things going for you, which is, you know, good marketing, enough people coming in, you know, tight, dense, you know, organization. Yeah. And do you guys run service, mate? Uh, not, is it not uh, service autopilot? Yeah, we run service autopilot. Yeah, yeah. so that does everything there. Yeah. Have I talked yeah. about that in the podcast before? Have I? I? I listen, and I know the lawn care millionaire. I know my, I know my stuff. Oh yes. So, service autopilot. Here's a. It's a real shame when lawn care millionaire was doing it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. He sold half of it. I think in 2019. Oh really? It's gone. It's gone downhill since then. I think we're one of the only Australian businesses using it, and it's, it's one of the things is that we are so set up for that system that it's it's just too like you know we're addicts you know it's like we're too we're too far deep we can't not use it so it just but it was the bee's knees five years ago and i saw everything else i was like what it did it was a bit clunky a bit hard to use what it did was fantastic these days it's very similar it's still really clunky they don't support australian people because they don't have enough market it's yeah yeah okay the shame Because I, I do, and I still say it to people, I will have maintenance guys message me on Instagram and they will be asking questions about what to do and, and how to go about it. And I still recommend Jonathan Toshnik, I think his yeah. name is. I still recommend his uh, YouTube channel, Lawn Care Millionaire, as a really good place to start. And I say that although it's an American market, his business model and mindset is, is worth its weight in gold. He's a very clever man. Yeah, and I listened to a bunch of his stuff when I first started. You know, mm-hmm. uh, his his business number stuff, and this is what you can get from the American side is the business side of it is is very good. Actual maintenance side of it, or like how to actually do the grass side or the lawn side or the garden side, is hit and miss because it's all climate stuff. So, yeah. but you've well, got you've got a similar sto- sorry you've got a similar story <laughs> in that you've you've also had a bunch of staff at a similar time, and then now you sort of cut down my goal is we're going to rebuild we're trialing out some things that i won't say on on air i can talk to you after but um we're trying some things the ultimate goal one day and it's always been is to have uh basically the business be across the country in a certain way you say that yeah but it's it's sort of it's it's gone from I guess a bit of a vanity thing where it was like oh this would be a great goal to have one day to have a, a business that's got people all across the country to go no there's actually a hole in the market that we could actually fill but if I never did that I wouldn't care 
because it's yeah. about actually having good quality. If you can get the quality down and you can get the systems down in the background that make everything run, a bit like McDonald's. Like everybody, you know, craps on McDonald's for their, you know, the quality of the food. But the reality is the quality of the food is amazing in the fact that you go to Sydney, it'll be the same burger that you have in Hong Kong. It'll be the same quality of burger you have in, in, in London. Yep. Like, you know, it's not the best thing they've ever had, but their systems are amazing. And if you can get something like that, it's replicatable. I've talked too much. How are you <laughs> feeling about this? Because you got a similar experience. Is that bringing up, um, you know? Uh, yeah, I suppose, I suppose similar. So, um 2018, 2019, Ashley James Gardens was myself, an apprentice and a subcontractor. And then in 2020, right before COVID, was it there? Might have been the end of 2019. Um, we took over the horticultural industry of my father's company where I'd done my apprenticeship and time. And I merged that with Ashley James. And we went from three to I think we had maybe 10, 10 full-time staff there at one point. Um, COVID hit, world turned to hell down here. Um, we used to maintain a lot of wedding venues throughout the Yarra Valley. Yeah, um, right, yeah. And when COVID hit, they didn't have a wedding for two years. So the first thing to go was the maintenance people. So I think at that point, uh, we had around 60 clients and I'm talking like larger acreage clients. So we had around 60 um and they range from weekly to fortnightly to maybe once a month on some of them um yeah and then COVID hit we weren't allowed to work down here for around three months and it was during probably the busiest spring that we had seen in years so you think like these large acreage jobs where we've got clients we're having two to three guys go there for a day a week they're shut down for three months over the busiest spring then we're allowed back to work I had 60 clients turn around and say to me, I want my place looking like it usually does. Um, I can't do that because I've got 60 other clients who want the exact same thing. So I have to spread the load and try and make this work. Well, I've got a lawn mowing guy down the road that's happy to come in and do it right now. So I'm just going to use him. Um, yeah. Bang by bang, drop off. Um, and, I, and I've said it on previous podcasts before too, but like I, I obviously what you're doing works and, and you're clever with what you're doing. But I think with maintenance from our point of view was you either needed to go high end and charge or you just did everything and you were happy to go through and just mow people's nature strips and, and you know, you could hit eight nature strips in that street and then drive 10 minutes down the road and do eight nature yeah. strips on that street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Whereas I, I, that just didn't interest me. So, um, yeah, for me, like we were doing like high-end horticultural work where we were focused on planting, mulching, fertilizing, all that kind of stuff. Um, but even with that, I just, I would do that for a stint and then I'd get bored and then I'd want to do a design and then I'd want to build it and then I'd want to maintain it. And I was just like, I need to, to alter things. Staff um, here, we couldn't keep staff. Um, we had a bunch of staff leave um, for multiple reasons, and then it just wasn't working. So not too long ago, I went back to I've got myself an apprentice and a subcontractor who helps out. So um, I'm now designing, installing, and maintaining. I'll maintain gardens that I've designed and built. Um, but uh, yeah, we're not really. We don't have those sixty clients anymore. I think I've got maybe two, three. That's it. Right. Interesting. So, 
I mean, there's a few things that are coming up, but the staff side, that is, it's incredibly difficult. And, and what you look at, when you look at the industry, right, in Australia, this is why the American business advice is limited because you can make a successful business with employees in America a lot easier than you can here. And I would say one of the hardest businesses to build in the country is a plus 10 full-time equivalent garden maintenance business. And the reason why I would say that is I don't know of any, right? Sorry, residential garden maintenance business. Commercial stuff, you can do it. And the reason is you you don't know of many. And the reason why it's so difficult is you can only, with travel time, you have to have one or two people in the car, which means you have to have a lot of A players on your team. With commercial, you can have five people in the crew, one A player, four pretty good people. It works. You put a pretty good person out on the road on their own, making their own decisions, identifying and solving problems, falls apart. Yep. So that's why the franchise model works because you incentivize people with uh, essentially what is their own business, even though it's, I mean, it is their own business. I don't want to discredit anybody who's doing that, but the marketing and stuff like that is taken care of, of them. So, but yep. yeah, they're essentially their own business owners, right? And that's why if you go on like LMCA on Facebook, I don't know if you're a part of that group or anything. It's, it's um, no, not. not necessarily. Yeah, that's more of the like the efficiency economies of scale, you know, like just, uh, you know, like, I mean, and there's a variety of people who do from amazing stuff, but, you know, your classic sort of lawn and garden contractor. But, you know, there's 6,000 people in that Facebook group. We should, you know, it's just a huge number of these people. And there's so few people who can break sort of eight, nine, ten employees in the maintenance game that are focusing on smaller jobs yeah. because it's just you can't find the people. And I think what's going to happen is the market, it's either going to go two ways. You either are going to have it be one of the, the it's just a massive like lack of people in the industry doing the work because it can only be sustained by small businesses and the small businesses only a certain type of people are going to be interested in starting their small business or someone's going to work out how to pay people eighty dollars or $90,000 plus to do a gardening job to compete with other labor-intensive roles like yep. civil construction or mining. And that's the only two things that can go. If you go down the small business route, it's going to be good for all the small businesses because there's not going to be enough work and then people start getting robots. If you go down the employment route, it's going to be great for the people who are employees because finally they can earn a good living in gardening. But for the businesses that are trying to do that, that's the difficulty. Just oh, to, you 100%. pay it. Yeah. Yeah, no, 100. And, the, and it, uh, I don't know. I, I, you asked me off air if I was a businessman or if I was a gardener. And as I listen to you speak, I think you obviously have a real passion for, for horticulture, but very clearly a businessman. You, you, your mindset is business. You're, you know your numbers. The fact that you know your numbers, like you're, and you've had business coaching, it could be from that as well. Um, but you, you know your numbers. And, and I said it to you off air too. If I wanted to get rich and just make money, I would not be doing what I do because it's not the quickest and easiest way to make money. Yeah. I, t- I see that. Yep. Yeah, but I mean, I, for me, I love what I do, and I'm, um, 
don't know. More like from my end, I just enjoy the the art of it and and designing, installing, and then the satisfaction to then come back and 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 prune and shape and mm. yeah. I, I enjoy. I'm one of those people that like I enjoy what I do. We make enough money that we're comfortable, and, I, and I'm happy with that. But if I wanted to ramp up and be doing, you know, make you know, ticking over millions and millions of dollars in in revenue every year, then the business model that I have is not the right business model. Yeah, Do you know, I I feel as well that here's another story that I've never told on the podcast. I actually put the business up for sale for about three weeks when I first started getting really unwell because I had an option where I was like, I know I can't do this work anymore and I may never get better. Um, So my options are grow the business, which I knew would be difficult because I'd tried it twice before, right? And failed both times. Uh, Failed to get to essentially one sustainable, unsupervised employee. But in the back of my head, I was like, I know the problems I made. I know I can solve some of those problems because I've, I've been trialing and failing. Yeah. Or I can sell the business, take the cash, and I had an option, believe it or not. I have a very wealthy friend who buys and sells mining businesses. He's essentially yep. an investor. Don't millionaire guy. It's not a guy. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. This is a compliment. No, no. <laughs> um, a guy over here yep. buys and sells mining businesses. And I basically had an offer to go sell your business and come work for me. Right, non-physical job, office job. So I put my business up for sale. And then I was like, I don't have a passion for it. I actually like the industry and I want to solve this problem. Nobody else I can see is really solving it. I haven't solved it yet, you know. Um, Essentially, you would say on paper that we failed a third time. I wouldn't say that because it's it's a lot more complicated than that. If we didn't have the workers' compensation injury, I think we'd be in completely different place you know but that's the problem with with having employees you rely on human beings and things go wrong with human beings uh you know even if the person's not intending it but um yeah i could have gotten out of the industry and just gone and done essentially business it doesn't it's not satisfying and do you know how much fun it is to be back out in the in the field mowing lawns it's like people treat mowing People who don't do it, mowing and gardening, as this, this is a lowly life. I honestly, if you were like, you're going to be a gardener for the rest of your life and you'll never have a successful business, right? Or you can have a really successful business, but it's in a completely different industry, I would still take gardener. You know, the only, the only thing is my own health. That is the only thing that would stop me from, from making that choice because ultimately then that would be about my family because if I couldn't do it, I'd have to make money for the family. But there's a passion. There's something about this industry and working out there, making things beautiful, making living things look good. It's just great, you know? Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, and money does play a factor to it. Like I say that I come at it from a passionate point of view, but um like my gardens and my style in particular are very english um my mum is from the uk so i have like i've been brought up with like an english background um i think one of the jobs that i would enjoy most is being an estate gardener on a big manor over in the uk where you have potting sheds and you have grow houses and, and and everything like this where you do the seasonal rotation of the garden beds i think i'd be happy as larry but I'd probably be making 500 pounds a week and I can't support a family of five off that. Yeah. You got five, three kids. You got three kids, yeah. Yeah. Nice. 
Good stuff. I would love to be a st- uh, working in a stadium if it wasn't for the weekends. You know, yeah. uh, and I, I could do a botanical garden. I could do anything, right? Like if you just put me out there. And in fact, I could do landscaping. I love making things out of wood. You know, I love, uh, I make, uh, you know, I haven't done it for many years because of my health. But um, I made tables and things like that. And if you go to my warehouse, it's like, yeah, that's a whole different thing. But we have hanging baskets everywhere. I love the indoor style. And so anything that makes things look beautiful and I'm working with my hands and I'm I'm doing that, I just love that. And just sitting on a laptop, you know, I've done that as well with, with the business for the last two and a half years or whatever it was. There's just not there is a, it's missing something and maybe it's primal yeah. like we were supposed to be farmers that was not you know that's what we used to do hunting gathering you know catching animals you know no I think you're right because I like I said when the um, design rush went through the roof like I sat in this office which is a hideous office like it's ugly but I've got my my work desk here and the next room is my design table. So I have a big drafting table set up just there. I've got a bathroom yeah. here and then my house is uh, 20, 25 steps that way. So I can make a cup of coffee. My garden is right behind me. So I've got beautiful um, yeah. inspiration all around me. But just being in here drafting, and I love it, but I need to have a mixture. So yeah. I think I've found that now where I can design and we produce very high quality detailed designs. Um, but then we can install that and then, you know, for the right client, um, we may not be doing the maintenance, but we might do the winter prune and we might guide them on general maintenance throughout the year. Um, so I think it's the variety. That's probably the best yeah. thing is the variety, you know. And then if it pelts down with rain for two days, and we've serviced everything that we can in the shed, then I can come in here and draft and do whatever I've got to do and then, you know, get back. That's, out yeah, that's actually good. See, that's the thing. Like, that's a really smart way of doing it because I uh, I don't have that luxury today. <clears throat> I was actually, when I was on the phone to you today, yep. and I was, could you hear all the sprinklers going? Uh, it was it was really weird. I just heard myself talking because you, you called me via Instagram. So it was just like, I wasn't sure what was going on. Neither will as, I couldn't get a speaker. As you've learned, Luke's been kind hasn't said it, but like I actually thought that this podcast was um, on Thursday night and not Tuesday night. So I got a message from Luke's waiting on me and it was a mad rush trying to get everything organized to uh, to make this happen. I was halfway through putting the kids down to bed. So um, today's just been a shambles for me, mate. So I apologize. <laughs> but I was, uh, I had the, uh, I was doing this job. I was doing a job at the school that we do, right? We've got um, aeration and some fertilizing and that was what was down for the day. And so I've got to test the sprinklers just to make sure they're working. And there's this whole station, which is just stuffed. And I'm trying to fix things. It's basically filled with gunk. I'm like, what the heck? I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was skipped in the last maintenance run or over winter, a lot of gunk got in there. I don't know, right? But all the sprinklers are clogged up, the MP rotors. And I'm working on it, working on it. And I'm just like, ah, I'm not going to get the aeration done. Because it, it's a whole day job to aerate this whole school and fertilize it, right? Um, and so I don't really have any space to reschedule it. We're basically booked out until November. So I was like, oh, I'll be back on the weekend. <laughs> That's my only option, yeah. you know? So having that flexibility to be like, I can do design, you know, it is – that's one of the downsides of the industry. It's like boom and bust. Like winter, you got all this free time, and then like spring, it's like oh, I've got. I can't, See, I'm you know. I'm flat out in winter. 
I specialize in winter pruning because of where I'm. That's located. true. And I was, yeah. you know, we haven't. You said you were. You said you were like more technical. Stuff, yeah. <laughs> I've got like questions. I wanted to ask you about veggie gardens because that's okay, such yep. a big thing about what you do. Vineyard. Yep. I mean, I've got all the time in the world. We're at an hour and a half. Let's make this. Let's keep going. If you, if you've got to yeah, stay I'm away. Right. Yeah. Thank okay. Let's move. Let's move away from business for and let's <laughs> tell me about because I've never pruned a vine other than to clean it up, right? As mm-hmm. someone's as, as in a grapevine. Grapevine, yes, yeah, of course. Yep. <laughs> it's lots of different vines. A grapevine. Yeah. So I don't actually know the technical way to do it. Fruit tree pruning, rose pruning, I've done that, but I wouldn't say I'm an expert, right? And then veggie gardens. I had Craig Castry on last week, and I just I don't know much at all about it. And you've had this as such a big part of your business, so I could learn pretty much everything from you. So go. You no, got not after, not after <laughs> Craig from last week. Craig was blowing me away with all the advice he was giving too. I've been doing this for 20 years and I listened to Craig's interview last week and I was just like, whoa, that man is a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, unfortunately, that was in the middle of the day when I did that podcast and I, again, was running behind. And so I tried to get everything done in the morning and have it done for the podcast and I had to cut it off. Yeah. At an hour and a half, but we could have yeah. gone forever with that podcast, oh, you know. Yeah, just a wealth of knowledge. That man. So, so let's um, start with this vineyards. Vineyards, what the hell vineyards. is that? Vineyards, <laughs> uh, what do you how do you get that work to start with? Is it just the area you're in? Yeah, so I'm in the Yarra Valley, which is um, like we're known for our vineyards and everything like that out here. The, We've got the Bordley wines and all that kind of stuff, you know, 15 minutes down the road. Um, the majority of the larger estates, such as the Bordley, have their own crews or they'll bring a pruning team which will come through and do that. I don't yeah. do any of that stuff. It's too large. I've got no interest. Yeah. But we do have a lot of smaller boutique vineyards in the area that I come from um, and, and we prune those and, and kind of focus on those. So there's two ways to do that where you can do a spur or a cane prune. Um, a cane prune is where you're focusing on tying down new canes from last year's, um, that's put yep. on last year's growth. We'll cut that back and we'll tie them down. And a spur prune is where we stick with the canes from last year, but we actually spur off the canes and, and just kind of cut them just a, a one, two bud system. Um, I'm going to put a photo on if I can. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So see that top one, how that's called cane pruning, and you can yep. see there that we've we've now reduced the vine back to two canes, so one going either side. Yep. Yep, and that is that. Well, that's all we're knocked back to. We may have a spur or two coming from the crown in the centre there, just to give us a couple of options for next year. Um, and usually okay. when I do usually when I do a cane prune, I don't just run the two; I'll run four. So I'll have two on the bottom okay. and then I'll have two on the top as well. Is that because that's where they've got their, um, what you would call the trellis and I would call the wire or yep. is there something else for it? Correct. Yeah. So you'll run the wire through there. Um, so down your vineyard rows, you'll have your tree. Roughly, roughly where my little um, cursor is? No, actually where there. the canes are. Up where okay, the canes so are. Okay, so here. But you tie, them, you tie them straight. Okay. All right. Yep. Yeah. And then I would then, because you have quite a few different um, rows of wire in the vineyard. Um, yep. I then have that come up again and then go off um, with another set of canes going either way. All right. Okay. And then, so what this is called spur pruning. So there's a lot of little knobbly things back on there. Do you know, I should describe this to people listening. Sorry, if you're listening, it's basically like the trunk of the vine. Is that even what you use the word for? 
Yep. But they've called it a scion. Oh, no, so, it says trunk. It there we go. Trunk. <laughs> ah, look, uh, I can pretend like I know what I'm doing. If I edit this correctly. <laughs> yeah. You know, and basically, there's just two um, branches or vines coming out. You've called them canes, but, you know, two at the top. Looks like, um, you know, pretty pretty bare. Not much left on that. And then you've got the one down the bottom, which is, it's a lot fatter. Those two things coming out a lot fatter, and it's got a lot more buds coming out of it. It's not that, that it has more buds. No, you're right. So it's not that it has more buds coming out of it. So for people that are listening, if you can imagine just the letter T, like a capital T, and that's yep. what it looks like. So the top of the T going across is your canes, and then the um, the main um, stem coming down is, is your trunk. Um, now, when we come down to this second one, um, where we're talking about the spur pruning, all that is is those there's still canes that go off to the side there, okay, but mm-hmm. they have been there for more than one season. And, yeah, okay. And where the buds are, that's where the those spurs are. So all we're doing is trimming those off at, at a one or two um, bud growth, and then they will produce from there. So this is a much faster way to prune, but you sure. don't get fresh stock come through every year. Whereas if you scroll back up to the cane pruning, all those little dots that are coming off those canes are buds and they will turn yep. into spurs and then those spurs then come into more like grow into the canes and, and go up so it's a little bit hard so you to get and... you get more fruit from the more aggressive prune is that what you're saying so you, more work but more fruit you'll get um no you'll get the, you'll get similar fruit on both the difference is you're going to get fresh fruit um or fresh growth off your cane pruning but your spur pruning is a much faster way to do it. So to do a cane prune, I've got to cut out possibly 24 to 32 canes um, of old growth that I no longer want to then tie down four different new canes, whereas the spur pruning, it's from last year's stock. It's already been tied. All I need to do is pretty much go through with a hedge trimmer, and, well, not that I would ever oh. do it with a hedge trimmer, but go through with a pair of secateurs and just go bang, 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 strip the canes out, and it's done. Okay, I've got to go pee. I'm going to come back. I've got about four questions. All right, is that okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is this busting, going man. live? How this work? Uh, no, no, I'll pause it. Okay, so that's cane printing, start printing. I'm back from my pee break. Um, first thing that's coming to mind: you're not doing this all with hand tools, right? Like, like no, I do it all by massive. You don't like no battery powered secateurs or anything? No interest whatsoever. So I have a, um, my pruning kit uh, is about a 3,000. I've got a bag, a Nawaki bag, and that has about $3,000 worth of hand tools in there. And I have um, handcrafted um, Tobisho secateurs from Japan, um, which is made by a hand forged by a family over there that have been forging steel for thousands of years. And they slice through everything like butter. But your hands should surely hurt. I still not. I mean, like how good? Okay, <clears throat> is this the same head shears that Craig from Southern Cross Gardens using? So similar. He has Japanese ones. Yes, I have. Um, so the, the brand that I use, which is Toby Show, they're like they're like the you know the ducks nuts. Like they are just they're very. Okay. Very, very expensive, but they're like they're well worthwhile. So I don't do a lot of maintenance, um, but what I do specialize in is winter pruning, um, and it's probably the most enjoyable job that I find throughout the whole year. I have one of my 
old apprentices who's now back subcontracting to me. Um, he runs the Falcos and he said to me while we were doing this big mulberry tree, he said, well, really, how much better can they be? The three cuts right. he made with my, with three cuts he made with my six years and he goes, well, okay, well, yep, fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I got Falcos and <clears throat> the difference between a Falco and your standard $15 buddings thing is quite noticeable too. It is. So you've you know, got a $15 thing and then you've got a pair of Falcos, which will probably cost you about $120. My Toby shows are about two hundred and thirty to two hundred and fifty dollars a set. Man, have you have you ever used a battery one and just not been ha- happy with it, or you just don't need it? No interest. I, I like the craftsmanship of. Um, okay, of what I use. see. Yeah. But again, that's a... where it probably comes back to: I'm a bad businessman because I'm um, too interested in the craft. Yep. I see. It. It's, could I, it's could the same I be with... with batteries, probably. Do I, I? I I get a beautiful cut with this. So that's the other thing too that I hate when you see people that are like, "Oh, I've had my roses pruned by a professional, and it's all split, and it's damaged, and it's oh my pink. goodness, yes." Ugh. I'm going to show you a photo if I can of um, something that I posted, and um, you have a warning for emotional damage here. Okay, <laughs> okay. all right. Uh, I'm going to try and find this. It might take me a little bit. Yeah. Whilst I'm doing this, have you ever rocked up to a job? Because I'm about to tell you a story of when I've rocked up to a job and the like, it's just somebody else really screwed it up, right? Surely that happens all the time for you as well. Any stories not, that come to mind? Not so much now, but again, with like the um, safe arguments, like the wedding reception place where we're working at the moment, they... Um, initially got onto us via um, seeing us on the block with Channel 9, contacted yep. us to come out. Their, one of their main features and selling points of this venue is this beautiful wisteria arbor. Now, this wisteria arbor is probably about 12 to 15 metres wide and it's about 30-odd metres long, maybe a little bit longer, 30, 40 metres long. It's huge. Um, and they had this beautiful wisteria arbor, but it hadn't been pruned in four to five years over oh, the wow. growth that we had. And they had brides. So during the flowering season, they'll book out 30 to 40 weddings just for people trying to get married underneath the flowers of the wisteria. This hadn't been pruned in about four to five years. So it had flower heads, but they were about six, from six to 12 foot high above the arbor. Why? Yep. And nobody could see them. So we had to come through and cut all this thing back. And I'm, I'm currently back working there. And it's the parts that we haven't pruned are now in flower and look amazing. And what we have pruned is still just back to bare sticks. So it's it's a it's a hard one to kind of sell to the client because I said to them, you're going to lose a season of flowers here where you're not going to get that big influx of growth. Um, yeah, that's so, tough. Yeah, it's a hard one. So with the wisteria, uh, I don't have too much experience with it. Do you – can you avoid that just by like annual maintenance on it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, if, you, and if you're dealing with a wisteria, you need to do maintenance on it because, again, with my style, wisterias are one of my favorite climbers to use. However, if you don't keep them under control and keeping them in check, they can cause damage. So you'll see people that will – plant them right up against a house and brickwork it's kind of asking yeah. for trouble so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like i love wisterias but you need to stay on top of them okay are you prepared emotionally for this <laughs> i went go. to this i went to this old lady's house <clears throat> and uh she had 
So her husband was a Rose fanatic. He's passed away. She's probably in her 80s, and she can't do it herself. She's too old to do it herself. She's hired somebody else, and this is what I rocked up to. Is that a cut? That's a cut. Oh, my God. We're one photo down here, mate. Like, <laughs> Let me Sorry. try and center this for you. Uh, oh that's another God. one. Is this what the... Is this from a professional company? Apparently. Uh, I think wow. it's Cadillac. Um, so if you zoom in on... You've got to jump on. These are the most mangled cuts. I think someone's done this with a hedge trimmer. I that's think that's what's happened. But all up here was supposed to be... Now, if you go to see the front there, her entire front garden, I don't know if I've gotten... Yeah, that's back to the beginning. But her entire front garden, roses, all the way up the side of the house, rose, all the way along the back fence, roses. I think it was 65 roses, something like that, in the 60s. And they all were just abused. Hasn't been thinned out or anything. It's just the tops were cut off. And this lady, now... I did have some comments on this saying, well, you know, what did she pay? Maybe she should have, you know, if it was a really cheap quote, maybe she could have, you know, seen this coming. But No, I disagree with that without even knowing the circumstances. You've got her late husband who's planted that. She's not going to be cheaping out on that. She would be wanting to pay respect to him and, and, and his roses. So she would have just, you know, approached someone who seemed like a nice guy and, and that's that's bad. It is bad. That's horrible. Uh, what I will say, though, is she didn't accept our quote. But, uh, yeah, then again, I wasn't expecting her to accept it because the problem is essentially you have to do the whole job with a, you know with something like that. You can't – the guy hasn't saved me any time. If I'm going to go oh, and no, do – He's actually made job. it work because he's, he's taken out possible um, – Yeah. I would be going lower than that or not, like much lower than that. Um, so, yeah, same. He um, – he has taken out, you know, possibilities. He's if he's run a head streamer through that too, he could have snapped them lower down. Like, yeah, there's there's a lot wrong with those photos that you've just shown me. And that's 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 the thing about back to the industry and and you know we don't want to talk about business too much, but <laughs> we already did that. But the the low barrier to entry in this is just a pair of fifteen dollars budding circuiteers, or you know the head streamer that he paid paid two hundred bucks for or whatever it is. So it's so easy to get into and, you know, you can get some images off the internet of, you know, Ashley James's Instagram photos, pretend that's you, and uh, there you go, you get some jobs or whatever it is, you know. So it's, yeah, I mean, that's why people expect lower prices sometimes because they've had experiences with that kind of work, you know. and Yeah, yeah. it's very easy for me to... Um, talked i mean it's harder when you said before like is it better to learn by the book or on site the pruning for argument's sake that's the type of thing i need to show you on site because the textbook like they vary every single one varies um and the same as our cane uh, with our vineyards like we might do a spur and a mixture of a cane prune because the growth's different um it's very easy for me on site to be able to explain to a client what they're paying for by myself coming through and doing it yeah well, yeah, I want to say is the steri pruning. Like I steri prune all our cuts, so I don't know if you guys have that over there, but I use a steri prune on all my on all my larger cuts and on the majority of my smaller cuts, where we'll paint like a sealant over the top of the cuts um, to stop the water from getting through and rotting everything out. Yeah, we don't do 
I don't do that on roses, and I've heard of it on fruit trees. We don't prune that many citrus. We would, mm-hmm. um, as it not like uh, not that we do a steri prune, but like, um, and you talk about sterilization basically, but uh, we wouldn't do it on a citrus, and we don't really have. I can only think of one client that had a lot of fruit trees because remember the block sizes that we're doing are quite small. So you'll get yeah. ornamental, or it hits of ornamental plums and pears and all that sort of stuff. But other than citrus trees, we don't get a whole lot of people who've got like an apple. There's one client who's got an apple. Um, but yeah, but that's just because that was inherited with the house that they have. We don't have yeah. that sort of stuff in our climate or, you know, in Perth at least, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. However, there is a there's a suburb interesting called Seville Grove. I used to live there, and it was literally all, you know, Seville orange groves. And if you stand in certain areas, you can stand on the roof, and there's a there's an orange tree in everyone's backyard in the same spot. They actually left yeah, okay. a lot of the trees, yeah, and right. um, yeah, built the house. So left them in the backyard, designed the streets around where the you know trees were. So was, yeah, anyway, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So. How do you get into the veggie side of it? Because here's the other thing. I've very rarely do we get asked, but if someone was to ask me, I've got a veggie patch, can you maintain the veggie patch? I would just say no. I, I don't have the knowledge and I feel like the amount of time it would take me to, to get it looking good and to do all that sort of stuff, I, I just don't feel like the expense would be worth it. But this is something that you were saying before is a massive part of your why people come to you is to have a design that includes veggie gardens yeah so we i will design and we will install but i will not maintain and i will not um plant okay out. yeah the reason why I'll, I'll quite often have clients say to me oh can you just plant it out and i will tell them no um because i don't know what you like to eat and i don't know what diet requirements you have and i don't know what works for your family so what works for you may not work for me and that may not work for yourself so yeah yeah, it's. Um, I always say to people that, and I and I think too, if people are coming to me for a design and for us to install it, they're coming to me for a garden that they want to be involved in and they want to garden. That's true. Yeah. So it's about myself designing it so that it works, installing and implementing it, and then guiding them to enjoy it. So. Yeah. And I think that's why most people get into it to start with. They're not really chasing. Well, some of them are chasing better quality food, but I think a lot of them are chasing their connection with their food, which they would lose if they were paying a gardener to do it, you know? I mean, your guest last week, um, was was his name Craig, sorry, was it? Yeah, Craig, yeah. So uh, Craig, I heard say, and I didn't even know this, um, that with your sweet corn, that once it's been harvested, you have 20 minutes before it, <laughs> yeah. it's locked, right? For it's myself, yeah. For myself, my, nutrition. Sorry. Yeah, within twenty minutes. So my kitchen garden is right behind my office. My house is just there. If it was the daylight, I'd take you out and do a tour. I, I probably wouldn't because it looks a bit crap at the moment. And um, in the world, Instagram social, ready. In the world of social media, it looks amazing. Yeah. Um. So I literally harvest my sweet corn. I walk twenty meters, and I'm in my kitchen. Bang! There you go. Yeah, so it's just, um, I, I, you know, it's one of those things. If you go nuts and you build like a big market garden style, um, that you can then start harvesting and canning and preserving everything, 
you can save money. Um, on a smaller scale, you're not going to save money, but you will get much better quality. And it's about the enjoyment because you, you surely have seen all those memes where it's like I've spent $600 on soil, $300 on, on supplies, yeah. you know, yeah. five months and 300 liters to produce this 45 cent carrot. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So my wife used to send me memes like that all the time, taking the <laughs> out of me. And now yep. she has got chickens and ducks. So she'll get the eggs from the chickens. Oh, yes. The amount of. Like I had to build them a freaking enclosure and like that alone, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. fifteen hundred two grand just on materials, um, and then we've got to uh, yeah the the nonstop upkeep on those for eggs, which I could go to the supermarket and buy quite cheaply, but yeah. the quality of the ones that we produce are, are much better. Yeah, have you seen the? Yeah, I shared it on my story that once you get a chicken, you start becoming a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> I didn't see did you that. see that one I because he, he that. this guy was talking he was very he was very casual and funny about it but he's like yeah it's a gateway for, for conspiracy theories because you you get your chicken and then you start tasting eggs and you go oh these are really good and then you research why they're different and you realize you know factory farming and so you go mm, why are they doing this and then you start growing your own veggies and then you go oh why are these better and then you start making your own sourdough and then you realize like you know you start getting sort of anti-corporation anti-big you know Big business, yeah. and you just go down this. So he's like, just be aware if you get chickens, you know, you'll you enjoy your eggs, but you also start becoming a conspiracy theorist. So. Yeah, there you go. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. I'll keep an eye on my wife, actually. Well, look, over there, I'm having a lot of fun, but talking about your wife, it is 10 35 over where you are, and she's probably getting grumpy about how late this is going, I guess it would be. Mate, she'll be having the time of her life. She'll be watching whatever show she wants to be watching. She'll be like, she'll be sending you a thank you basket for getting me out of the house. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, it's only 8.35 here. Do you want to keep going? Keep <laughs> if you've going, got the mate. time. Yeah, no, yeah. Okay, that's, that's let, me go, let me go back to my questions. Okay, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, so I know a lot about lawn products. What sort of products are you using for vines? And I've got ideas for roses, but, you know, what are you using for those sorts of oh, – we didn't even talk about fruit trees. Do you want to touch on your fruit tree pruning? So, And what are you using to sterilize everything? Okay, you see, I was trying to wrap it up, but I had about 16 things there that I could have No, no, you're right. So the product that I use for, from it is literally called SteriPrune. So you can Google that and have a look at it. Um, mm -hmm. you, I do have people out there that will turn around and say they don't like it. Um, they believe that it can, you know, runs the risk of trapping in disease into the um, plant. I strongly disagree, and I'm using it more as a, um, as a water. There we go. So you've got the spray cans, you've got that paint, and then the one that I use is like a thicker tar, and I use that to stop the um, the water from getting through and, and rotting out um, any of our yep. larger vines, fruit trees, stuff like that. Um, I, I Do you have a sponsorship by. with them or something? Nope, never spoken <laughs> to anybody from so they... there, and, and I stand by them. So, um, yeah, I get asked to do sponsorships and, and different things, and I was just asked by a, um, a well-known uh ch cheaper market um drill and and every battery accessory to do like a sponsorship thing <laughs> right yeah, <I'd> be, um <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah i try to go down a political path i'm not sure but anyway um it's not my brand they, not they my are brand. not going to listen to this podcast <laughs> let's just be, let's just be <laughs> frank here yeah. we don't have 
even though it's one of the bigger podcasts in the little niche, we do not have the vanity numbers that anybody's going to be like, from Ryobi is going to be listening to this. Joel Barnett but, um, is currently emailing them the link to this video right now. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> We've set ourselves up for failure. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, but yeah, I, yeah can, so, I can understand. I wouldn't take a sponsorship from Ryobi either, you know? Yeah, just not my cup of tea. So I have no sponsorship, no affiliation with these guys. I've used them for years and, and stand by it. I think it's a really good product. Um, well, hold on. I've got, to, I've got to pause. For all my friends who do take sponsorship from Ryobi, if your target market is the home DIY market, I don't have a problem with that. Like that is what they're made for. My target market is commercial contractors and people like that. That's why I wouldn't do it. I admit, see, now I'm becoming political, you know. So yeah. there you go, Ryobi. Uh, so, but no, uh, yeah, okay, back to it. Ryobi sucks now then. Anyway. <laughs> I'm just digging all these holes. Back to Stereo Room. <laughs> I'm just going to sit quietly over here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, so... Uh, uh, again, yeah, no sponsorship with them, but no, I just I've used them for years. I stand by it. My father introduced <laughs> me to it, and um, and he's one of the best horticulturalists that you'll ever meet. So I stand by his uh, judgment on a lot of things. Um, so, so yeah. using stereo prune, and so and you doing that on okay, is this just plants that are prone to disease, or are you pretty no, much again, doing that every time? I'll do that on the majority of cuts. Yeah, if 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 it's easy enough to reach through on the wisteria tunnel, we didn't do it. Um, I yeah. did have a little bit of one of the wisterias that had actually the side of it had completely rotted out. So um, in my pruning kit, I have really sharp timber chisels and I, I like wood chisels, and I actually yep. shaved out all the rotted and damaged diseased wood. Cleaned all yep. that back to a nice surface and then painted that with or blew it all out and then painted that with Steri Prune. Right. It's man, so you're really going into it. Yeah. What I do love you... It's my okay. favorite job. Okay. All right. I, see, this is interesting because here's what I've done with um, the very few uh, like apple trees, um, apples, like we've done loquats, things like that, right? When I'm pruning that, I'm using. A handsaw, and mm-hmm. uh, it takes me a very long time because I don't feel very confident. I haven't done enough, and I think the last time I did it was probably three years ago. But that's because of health stuff. Um, I did a head reduction the other day, and my goodness, am I slow at head reductions now? <laughs> like, just because yeah. I haven't done it in a while. But it's like I cut, and then I stand back, and I look at it, and then I go back and I cut, and I stand back and I look at it, and I go back and I, it's. How are you going about it? Do you go just rock up and you can just stand in there and just go, I know exactly how it should look. I'm just being, 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 being done. Without sounding too cocky, yes. Um, but again, it comes with 20 years of experience. Um, a lot of the orchards that I am also pruning have been done by my father for the past 30 years and then I've taken them on as clients. Oh, okay. So yep. they have been shaped up for generations by us now. So, um, yeah, it's, there's a little bit more love into them. But, again, I grew up with this in this industry, so I can look at it and just know where it needs to go to. Yeah, see, I didn't really have – no one ever really taught me how to prune a fruit tree. It was all Mate, like – come, come on down to Melbourne next uh, next winter. We'll put some wellies on you and, uh, and put you to work. Do you know, in all seriousness, I do want to do a trip. And uh, I've talked about this with Carrie – and in winter when we're quiet and go and visit all the people that I've actually done podcasts with and then do live in-person podcasts like at yeah, their garden yeah. or 
or that'd be awesome. Like it'd be, I mean, it'd be a nice tax write-off as well. You know, yeah, like, for sure. as a whole yeah, that come down and then Joel can shout us a surf and turf for lunch. Day set done. Surf and turf. Did they sell that at KFC? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I would love to do it. That would be such a cool thing, you know. But uh, yeah, people have got to sign up to our Patreon for me to be able to afford that because, uh, you know, that would also be incredibly expensive to do. And the other thing that's about it, which, you know, it's, people like Ben, uh, Ben Sims or Brenton Klein or these guys who are doing the 15-minute weekly YouTube videos, they're so hard to do like an in-person thing. I've done a couple of in-person podcasts. It's so much more editing. Like just anyways, that's the whole thing. So it's, it would actually be a hell of a lot of work. It wouldn't just be like rocking up to someone's house. You have to get the cameras and the lighting and the audio and everything and record it and have backups just in case something fails. And so anyways, but yeah, anyway, people, it's a good excuse to jump on my Patreon. Moving on I from know, that. Uh, I do know Joel found that too. Like when he first started his podcast, he was doing them all in person. He was driving out to see everybody. Um, and I think he did one with Jason Hodges and he said that he had maybe three or four microphones set up and they all failed apart from one. So it was a really low quality, um, uh, audio. Yeah. The struggle. It's tough. And yeah, I did that with, anyway, I did this episode with Wally on, uh, from ICL. I don't know if you ever listened to that one. Um, it was an earlier one. It was the first one I did in person. And I spent so much time editing it and it took forever and I was rushed. And then I uploaded the wrong file and actually uploaded the unedited file because oh. in my rush, I named them the same thing. Oh, no. <laughs> so, and then like people were messaging me like, because we had this thing where the uh, microphone stand fell over and I was screwing it back into a piece of wood and, and <laughs> blowing up having a laugh. And I was like, oh, I'll edit this out later. And the other thing, I mean, I'll say it now, but <clears throat> I was supposed to have Jason Hodges come on the weekend after that podcast and um, we were talking about it and I was like, I won't say this on air because I've actually given Jason a, a way out of coming onto the podcast because he had a lot on and I messaged him. I was like, hey, would you like to come on? He was like, yeah, I'd love to come on. He was like, I'm really busy. I'm actually going to Perth. I'm like, well, I'm in Perth if you're not too busy. And he's like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. But I was like, okay, don't, you know, I don't want to <laughs> pressure you or anything. And anyway, he you know, messaged me. Oh, I got too much. No, no stress, no stress. But anyways, I accidentally put this in the middle of the podcast that, you know, so I've thrown Jason Hodges on the bus. He still hasn't come on the podcast, so we got to get him on one day. Uh, here's one I would really love. Jason yes. Great. So he's, he's such a nice bloke. He's, um, it's so funny because you speak to him in person and he's just such a – such an Aussie bloke. Like, he's just hilarious. He loves it. Like, yeah. we both like country music, so we were talking about that. And, yeah, no, he's a good bloke, Jay. You liked country music? How yeah. old were you when you were dropped on your head? <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Joe Barnett's loving this. He's like, yes, we're getting that. <laughs> I don't mind some country music. I pretty much like everything, but uh, I just I wanted to have a dig. Um, what am I doing? So I'm coming over in, uh, apparently, uh, to help you with some fruit tree printing so I can learn. But before I learn that, uh, what am I supposed to be looking out for other people who might be interested in this when winter comes around? Um, for them to learn how to do it or? Yeah. Like what, what sort of things do you look for in a, in a fruit tree prune that would be different from say a rose prune? Because I think a lot of people would well, know how to prune different. a rose. It's actually, well, yeah, yeah, and then you just show me those photos. Exactly. So. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so that came out of my mouth. But yeah. there are, 
What I should say to clarify, people who have experience in gardening will have experience with pruning roses and hopefully they're doing it properly. So what can they transfer from that knowledge over to fruit trees? Well, if they're pruning their roses correctly, they'll be trying to achieve a, achieve a vase shape. And the idea yep. of that is that you're trying to create a vase with your roses that you um, have a hollowed out inside that you can allow for the airflow to go through the sunlight to get into and it cuts down on your, your uh, diseases. And you're trying to do the same thing with the fruit trees as well. So you're trying to create that vase shape um, with keeping the height under control without affecting your fruiting spurs. Um, you don't want to take everything off that you take out all your spurs that are going to fruit and produce the, um, the apples or, or whatever it might be. Um, but the other thing with fruit trees too is you don't want them to be huge because you want to be able to pick the fruit and you, do, you want to be able to pick the fruit without getting up a 10-foot ladder to be able to reach through the sense of trying to grab that, you know, pink lady apple. So yep. it's, it's about True. keeping it manageable. Right, yeah. That makes a lot like the steer you were talking about before, the flowers are, uh, you know, going fine. You're not mm -hmm. putting it to encourage more flowers, but the flowers are in the wrong spot. You can't see them sort of thing. Yeah, and and it's um you've got you've got your spurs and and you, you you can't just cut everything like a you can't just go through the hedge trimmer and just do like a wham bam like you've got to take your time on them. You know? Do you ever cut like say say with a I mean I remember chopping change with wisteria but with wisteria would you ever do like a cut back with a hedge trimmer just to get rid of volume and give you a bit more access? Um. I no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just no. No, it's, I, like, I, it's almost like you're offended at this suggestion. <laughs> well, it's more just like, again, I don't have many maintenance clients. So the people that do come to me, they know that I'm not going to be quick and they know that I'm going to do one cut, pull a cane back, stand back and go, yeah, okay, no, this is where I need to go. So they they watch me do it and they understand why it takes so long at time. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I jump in the vineyard and, like, I've been working on that vineyard since I was 14 so um, I, I can jump in the vineyard and go through and prune that really quickly. Um, but, you know, with other stuff, like I take my time with it. It's not a rush. Um, but I always say that to everybody too. I'm like, I'm, I'm not the cheapest. If you just want a cheap job, then don't, then don't call me because I'm going to take my time to make sure that it's done right. What do you do after – so let's go back to fruit trees. What do you do after fruit tree pruning? So you've done your stary prune. What are you doing – do you fertilize? If so, what sort of product? <clears throat> so this is where it comes back to how I said we don't do a great deal of maintenance because the majority of my maintenance work now is we will do our winter prune and then that is it. They'll have general maintenance done on the property by other people uh, or by themselves. Um, for argument's sake, we'll run a lime sulfur spray around, um, try and get on top of all the mites, which we do in the vineyards and everything like that as well. The, the the thing that you need to watch, I suppose, on the size that, of the properties that we work on out here is that you're beyond being able to just apply your organic, easy home recipe, you know, um, treatments, whereas we're a little bit more in that agricultural sense where you're yep. applying those harsher chemicals and, and stuff like that. Um, so again, these may not be done by us. They may be done by professional spraying contractors. Yeah, um, people who that's their, that's their world. Your pruning correct. is your world. Spraying is their world. Work together yep. as a team. 
That's it, yeah. So the, the maintenance that we do now is is really for the three months of the year where we'll prune solid for three months. Uh, and then the rest of the time we're designing and installing, um, unless it's, you know, doing general maintenance on, on one of my designs. In which case, yes. like the gardens that I build uh, from a fertilising point of view, I don't do anything. We build um, the gardens that we create, they kind of build their own little microclimates and they just kind of take care of themselves. Yeah, well, if you're putting all the soil in to begin with and you've yep. got a control of everything, you know, mm-hmm. then you can sort of get around that, especially if you know really well the plants that you're putting in, you yep. know. What about yeah. even with roses or like, you know, there's some plants that are very just hungry boys, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, even with roses, would you just not even bother? Like, you, Or you might put down some manure or something, but that's it. If it needed it, but the majority of what we find is is we don't really need to add too much to it because of the the gardens and the mulch that we use. I suppose with the mulch in itself, like you'll get people that will use a, a dyed wood chip mulch. Um, I don't do Black that. Black or red. Yeah, you know. For those, and, for those who, who go, oh, my goodness, is that not natural colour? Yeah, that's <laughs> it. So it says it's red gum mulch. Um yeah, no, we don't. We stay away from that yeah. stuff. So we use a more of like a, a compost soil mixture, which will then feed back into the ground. And I suppose I'm fertilizing it that way as well. Um, but yeah, we don't do a great deal of, of feeding. Um, they just kind of, as long as we've got water up to them in the right areas um, to get them established. And then once they're established, they kind of take care of themselves. Right. It's so interesting because a key part of what we do with any of the garden maintenance plants we have is. And I guess, I guess you have so much. If you're starting from the basis of knowing that you're going to maintain it, I'd be doing what you're doing. We come into gardens that someone's just plonked something in the ground, yeah. and fertilizing is so much of what we do. Well, I guess and that's it's, probably what you said. What you just said there too is like I'm doing it from like I'm laying in the groundwork from the start. So it's not yeah. like I've just kind of just gone. Oh, I'm just going to dig a hole and put something in there. Like we we prep everything. Uh, we do a lot of prep before we install. Yeah, and that's yeah. I mean, that's the professional side of it. That's also what makes it so expensive a lot of the time. That's what clients want to cut their corners on. It yeah. is, I suppose. Um, like I am a little bit lucky now that we're not necessarily fighting for cost. It's more that they want our design and they want our style. And once I explain to them why we do what we do, it makes yeah. sense to them. It's, it's the whole thing about horticulture. Like it is the most underrated industry in this country, and it doesn't get the disrespect that it deserves. And I do think that is because we've got cowboys in the industry that are wrecking for it, and that are lowballing and affecting the industry. Um, yeah. But the thing with horticulture is education. If we can educate our clients to why we do what we do and why it costs what it costs, then they're fine with it. And that's that you literally just explained exactly why the podcast exists. Yeah. Because, which uh, is one, yeah, because it's great. Because there's a lot of American podcasts out there where it's like, yeah, cool, we're not going to do a concrete slab and and then mortar in our pavers. We just do this crushed rock base and and do this. And it's, it's all this information that has nothing to do with Australia. And you can take bits and pieces from it, but you've got to listen to a podcast for two hours before you can take anything from it that's going to be relevant to an Australian context. And then or... you have to modify it and, and exactly, you know, yeah. or they might say, oh, we use, uh, you know, this thing called Steriprune and it doesn't even yeah. exist in our, you know, commercial 
you know, you got to buy it from somewhere in Europe or something and ship it over yeah. and yeah. all that sort of stuff. But the whole thing that, like, this, you know, you and I, we're actually very similar in that your dad was, my dad was sort of in the industry and in that he was in agriculture and your dad was doing some sort of agriculture. You grew up, you started very, very young, all this sort of stuff we haven't talked about, but I'm just know from listening to the podcast you did with Joel, mm-hmm. you know, the, the evil, terrible, demonic Joel Barnett. <laughs> That guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So many that people will listen to this are going to go to the podcast. But the, the thing for me is, <laughs> is you, you, you go and you go and have this um, – for yeah. <laughs> I lost the train of thought. Oh, yes, you were talking about, you know, the under, underappreciated, you know, industry and, and the cowboys who you – know, the low ballers. Do you know the podcast, the, the very early one I did on how to get your pricing right has had – more than four thousand people watch that podcast. Yeah, it um, through YouTube and all sorts of stuff. I don't know how many country com, uh, contractors there are in the country, but uh, you know, I've heard that there's eighteen thousand businesses registered from uh, mm-hmm. one of the other podcast hosts who told me. And so four thousand. I don't know a couple of people listen to it a few times. There'd be at least a thousand different contractors who have who have watched that podcast. To yeah. me, the value of that is there's a thousand people who probably are not going to go out of business if they put it into practice because it's yeah. not just like, oh, it makes it harder for you. It makes it impossible for them. If you're charging $50 an hour, you're probably taking home about $15 an hour just on the rough maths I have from experience. You know, it'll yeah. vary, but you're not making any more money than you would working at Subway as a part time yeah. sandwich no, exactly. artist. But you're working, <laughs> but you're, uh, you're working a hell of a lot harder for it. Yeah, it is. I remember I had this crisis in my business very early on and I kept, I would, would always go to Subway for lunch. Cleveland, I probably eat more Subway than KFC. I do like KFC more, but my waistline doesn't. But I was, I was at Subway and I remember this is the first time I tried to get an unsupervised employee. And at the end of the year, uh, a year and a half with him, we, we moved, we parted ways. And um, I'd lost $27,000 through having him on the business not his fault i just didn't know how to do business i was charging 60 dollars plus gst at the time and i went to subway i was in subway and i was like i would have been better off working part-time not even full-time yep at subway i would have actually made money you know and i could have just you know chilled out for the rest of the time now i learned a lot of invaluable experiences but that's why that sort of came up it's like the sandwich artist thing is a real story for me but uh, there's all these people who lose their business they love gardening and they would love to do it and they actually might not be cowboys in the technical sense but the business wise they're very weak and they needed that and the second side is the people who don't what you've just shared on like stereo prune or you know a few little things on how to prune you know you whoever listens to this there might be 10 contractors who up their game right in that one yeah. area you just benefited the whole industry you know and after and a couple got, hundred yeah you go so i was just gonna say like i've, I've got a real love for it like, <laughs> I, I do i love everything that we do in the industry and, I, and i've got a real passion for it i have people message me all the time on instagram and, and i'll will speak to any anyone that's taking the time of day to write a message to me um, I will speak to them and, and will quite often throw my phone number out and just say, look, if you want to have a chat, give me a call. I'm not saying that I know everything. but You're, you're about to get a bunch of messages. <laughs> <laughs> Do you regret that now? It's just going <laughs> to be the family. 
this Joel's <laughs> man. Um, but um, uh, what I was going to say is, uh, and I think I'm right in saying this, is it that um, the majority of small businesses fail after 12 months? It's something like that, and it's huge. It'd be it's 60, 80, something percent, you know, in that okay. ballpark. And the reason for that being in a business, say like a, a general maintenance lawn mowing business, you can run a very successful business, a very unsuccessful business for a long time with cash flow. And, and you won't realize that you're doing the wrong thing until you come to the end of the year where you sit down with your accountant. If you've got cash flow because you've got regular maintenance clients and you just, you're not putting away, you're not doing, you know, you're just kind of going week to week until you get to the end of the year, you'll think you're doing all right. Yeah. And hopefully you're checking your numbers more than once a year. But that's the like, thing, like when people first go out on their own and they're not sure on what they're doing. Um, and, and even people that are qualified in the industry, you may know about Steriprune, you may know how to prune a fruit tree, but you don't sit down with anyone and learn how to do a bass statement. No, you don't. And why isn't that ta not taught in school? I why do no I know idea. algebra and I don't know basic small business? How many people as a population... Yeah, as a percentage of the population, whether it's gardening or whatever, hairdressing or beginning, you know, whatever, how many people go start a small business as mm -hmm. a percentage? Yeah. And then how many people go do algebra? Yeah, 100%. It's like, man, like just teach the it's basics of algebra so we know, yeah. you know, yeah. whether we like it or not, and then do small business stuff. Like why, I, you know, I used to think <laughs> I didn't like books, right? And then I found audio books. Yeah, I love audiobooks. Live on them. You know, I used to think I didn't like technical things because the stuff that school taught that was technical were things yeah. I just wasn't interested in. And I love technical things, you know, like yeah. just I have to be interested in it. And it's the yeah. same with uh, – I know they do agricultural schools and things like that, but, like, you don't learn about much about plants that's interesting in school, right? Oh, How many people go and work in agriculture? Not even horticulture, not even what we do. But you take around, look at the country and how many people do that. And you have a specialist agricultural school. Yeah, they exist. Yep. But why would you have, you know, subjects? I mean, we go back to algebra, but like even like, you know, um, a bunch of things that you had to write essays on, you know, certain books you had to read or TV shows you had to watch or whatever. It's like... Yeah, there's skills I'm not using today. You know, it's, it, yeah. oh yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. And every kid is different, uh, but I do think that um, you know there needs to be education, and even as part of the trade, there needs to be an education there, like a small business course or something that's an option for people to be able to do. Do you know, going down this this rabbit hole here, I have a theory that. It used to be the case that you would look up to, let's say, a doctor, right? You know, mm -hmm. you look up to a doctor and you would respect a doctor who had opinions outside of their field because they were someone who was intelligent, smart. They obviously worked hard to get their stuff. And no offense to doctors, they obviously are. They work hard. They've got family members who are doctors, blah, blah, blah. But if they had an opinion on, let's say, politics, you'd be like, I mean, they, they should know something because they're smart. Do you know what? I actually think it's going to happen over time that the most educated people on politics will be truck drivers, gardeners, cleaners, mm -hmm. tradesmen, because what are they doing all day? Listen to podcasts. And someone who's interested in politics will listen to politics podcasts. Yeah. And the most educated people on politics will be truck drivers, farmers, yeah. 
you know, and what will happen over time, and I'm just using politics as a, as a as a category, but the same thing to do with health and fitness, the same thing to do with you pick any niche, mm. you know, the history of art in medieval times. Like, you know, people who have a passion, you know, you're out in the field doing things that are pretty mindless and you can listen to podcasts yeah. all day. And well, yeah, that's what I do. I listen to podcasts, I listen to audio books and, um, you know, it's either educational or, or, you know, entertainment, but there's always something going. Um, the only time we have music on a job site now is if we've got a big job and we've got a like a, a site radio going. Otherwise, if we're kind of tinkering with more detailed stuff, we usually just have a headphone in just listening to that. I, I will only listen to music once I've run out of my like talking stuff I listen to because I also yeah. on top of podcasts I got YouTube Premium and so I will listen to the news. Right, there's a couple of um, independent news journalists on um, YouTube who who will put out ten minute segments on a news story, not the two minute one you might get from the ABC. They yeah. actually talk about it more. They get more. So I can pick and choose the new stuff, and I I like sports, so I'll listen to a lot of pundits talking about what happened on the weekend or this or that, and there's YouTube channels, and then I listen to podcasts. And once I get like say six hours into the day, I'm like I'm listened out, you know, and I just yeah. want something mindless. Then the music comes on or nothing, you know. Put the country music on and kick back. Yeah, put on some Keith Urban, <laughs> uh, bit of sweet thing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, mate. How we got now? We got it. Oh, my goodness. It's two hours and 23 minutes. Do we hold the record yet? No, you got about six more minutes to go. Do you want to break the record? Yeah, for sure. Okay. I mean, we're six minutes. It's so close. Why would you say no? <laughs> I still have more questions, believe it or yeah, not. Yeah, there's still so much we could talk about. I do. I, I like listening. I like it when someone else has a podcast, <laughs> who's done a podcast, because I listen to the podcast and I write all the questions I would have asked or start, you know, people might start going down a subject as a rabbit hole and they come back and the main thing might just follow that rabbit hole. Tell me about work ethic. You messaged me before about um, how you, like I've said before, it's common for me to work till about 11 o'clock at night. The way I try and do things, like for example, today, Last night, I came back from Esperance on holiday, 9 o'clock at night. I'm up in the morning, 7 o'clock. Uh, I need a bit more of a sleep because Esperance, by the way, for those who don't know, that was an eight-and-a-half-hour drive. Um, so I was pretty tired. Got my sleep, straight to work, worked, got home at maybe 5 o'clock. We were supposed to do this podcast at 6 o'clock. Family time, bang, for an hour. You know, when you were running late and I was like, don't stress, honestly, I was like, oh. that's why I was like, message me when you're back because I'm just going to go, you know, I was hanging out with my kids before yep. they go to bed. So dedicated family time. Um, usually I do it for a little bit more, but maybe about seven o'clock once they're down, I'll work again, you know, not every night. And then Wednesdays, I have a dedicated date night with my wife. So we're getting quality time there. Um, but I reckon twice a week, Twice a week, I'm 11 p.m. So I'll do a 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. day. You know, yeah, I love it, right? Because I'm getting on top of things. And for me, I also will only work a Saturday. And I do not work Sundays, right? But I will only work a Saturday if I absolutely have to. So I would prefer to smash out massive days. I'd prefer to do, you know, um, just in, you know, 16, five 16 hour days. And a full weekend dedicated to family time. Yeah. And you actually get somewhere with that, you know? 
yeah, so so what's, I'm, yeah I'm tell me about you. No, I'm very similar to that. So um, we are on site at 7.30 um, on our job site. So no matter where we are, we're on site at 7.30. So if it's 10 minutes down the road, that's always much nicer. But uh, my next design and project is an hour and 20 minutes from here. So we'll be getting up a bit earlier. So we're on site at 7.30 and then we work till um, 4 o'clock. So we'll do eight hours on site. And then it's travel back, depending on where my project is, I like to try and be home around the 4.35 mark, only just because that's more of like the witching hour at home where the three kids just go wild. Yes. Um, yeah, yep. So I like to try and get back to try and help my wife out with that. And then we'll do, you know, kind of family time where it's get home from work, see the kids, and it's, you know, dinner, um, bath, bed, and that can go through till... I don't know, really, maybe 8 o'clock, 8.30 at the moment. They're still fairly young, just depending on how um, how feral the youngest one, Saddam Hussein, is acting on the night. Um, and then once that's all, all done and settled, then it's, yeah, back on. I don't have admin staff, so it's back on to doing all that kind of stuff, all designs, after hours, um, yep. scheduling, organising, everything like that. I'm more than happy to work till uh, midnight, one in the morning, um, every day during the week. Saturdays, I will do consultations for design consultations if they're um, coming through. I always do them on a Saturday. Uh, but my son plays bath. He's just started playing basketball on Saturday, so I try and schedule it around that as well. Because yeah. um, I just I've got no dramas with working hard. But if I'm not going to be around, then what is the point of having a family with young kids? Because it's just yeah. a matter yeah. of time until they grow up. And they're too cool for school and they don't want to be around mum and dad and they want to go off and do their own thing with their own friends. So yeah. why would I sacrifice my time with them now? So if um, if clients say to me, uh, that doesn't work, um, we need you to come out here on a Sunday, well, I'm sorry, I'm not the right fit for you. It's not going to happen. Sunday's yeah. family time. So um, I'm happy to do a consult on a Saturday and then I'll, I'll, I might go do a consult in the morning and then shoot off to my son's basketball game after that. Um, but yeah, weekends it's it's family time. Unless you know Christmas rush or something's gone wrong, and we and we can't like help it. But yeah. um, no, I like to you know spend Saturday with the families. We'll go to my son's sports games. Friday nights usually you know football down at um, down at the local club where he'll he's just started playing down there. Um, Saturdays basketball, and then Sundays you know family day. So we might go have a breakfast and then you know my poor family get dragged off to all the different show gardens in the local areas because i want to go and explore and that's what i like doing but we'll go for the country drive and all that kind of stuff so yeah uh, the reason why i want to talk about this is i think there's a culture that's like because there's workaholism right but then there's people who just work hard and Mm -hmm. if you enjoy your work right so if you look at my life i don't really i used to Right, but I don't really have hobbies. Yeah. Right? But I don't miss not having hobbies. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I don't play video games. Um, I don't play sport anymore. I would like, to, you know, if I could, you know, that would be one of the things that I would want to do. But I'd prefer to go watch my kids. But they're not old enough. But like, I'm just at that stage now. But I just really like what I do, and so I would prefer to come home. So usually, so tonight was different because of, you know the podcast at six. But usually, it's like five till seven. I'll just try and not do any work at all, right? 
and often yep. I don't have to, you know, if I don't have to do work, I won't, I won't do anything, you know, just have a, have a night with the family. But I'd prefer to just be intense in, not intense as in over the top and, and tiresome and, and aggressive or anything like that. But I guess intentional is probably the word and focused and being like, I'm doing work now, you know, and we're doing family time now. And I think what happens is a lot of people, they, they get exhausted and burnt out because um, I've talked about this before in, in uh, businesses like uh, when you want to grow a business, it's like driving a car that only has a couple of gears. There's a lot of gears missing. So mm-hmm. you're in first gear and there's a comfortable rev range, but it's pretty slow. If you want to go faster, let's say your next gear is fourth, you've got to rev the guts out of first and then you change into fourth and it's struggling and it's struggling, struggling, struggling. And then you get into a comfortable zone again. And those middle periods is where people will lose their business. You know, you talked yep. about it before. You either got to go really big or you got to go small sort of thing. And it's that middle zone where people really st- suffer. And the yep. only way to get out of that is to rev the heck out of the engine. And so if you have ambitions to do anything big, and I'm not saying everybody should because that's for you to decide for your own life, but you've got to rev. And if you're not prepared to rev, what what will happen is these guys will they'll get into the business and they'll come home and they will neither spend time with their family or work. They end up yeah. just wasting it on their phone or playing video games or watching movies or whatever. It's sort of like halfway in between. And I think that's what you can kill. If you look at your week and you go, How much time do I waste on that sort of stuff? You can get rid of that and work mm-hmm. harder if you enjoy your work and you're not exhausted and burnt out and all sort of stuff, and then you get yeah, somewhere. I, I agree, I, and I, I, you know, I say that, but that family time of say, let's call it uh, five to five till seven, for argument's sake, <clears throat> that's prime time for me to be posting something on Instagram where it's going to be engaged with people and stuff like that. So that's like a, a tricky thing there too, um, from like a marketing point of view, because that's my prime time to post is six o'clock, which I know from my business insights. Um, so what I've started doing now is I'll, I'll figure out what I'm going to post for maybe like the next week and I'll just have it all written out and it's just like a copy and paste post at six o'clock, bang, put the phone down. Um, I've kind of always had a really bad tendency to sit there and scroll through or, you know, I might be watching a movie with the kids and I'm scrolling through my phone while I'm doing it. And then in June, we went over to Fiji. We had two weeks over in Fiji family holiday, first international family holiday, really looking forward to it. I lost my phone at Melbourne Airport on the way to. <laughs> it was yeah. the most intense, stressful couple of hours looking for the phone. Like I couldn't find it. We're calling. I'm finding my iPhone. It's not working. Don't know what's going oh, on. Yeah. Um, and then so I'm stressed out. I'm grumpy. I'm just miserable to be around. And then I just went, stuff it. It is what it is. Like I've spent a fortune to come on this trip. I've worked my ass off to pay to come on this trip. I'm going to enjoy it. So um, it was stressful for that, you know, that time where I was looking for the phone and then we jumped on the plane and I was happy and my wife's like, oh, I really wasn't expecting that. And I'm like, well, apart from the fact that I don't have my phone to watch movies on because the iPads were given to the kids and stuff, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I said, you know, who cares? And I had the best holiday of all time because I didn't have a yep. phone to distract me in any way. So when my kids were swimming in the pool, my eyes were on them. When we were playing, like my full attention was on them the whole time. It was the best trip. So 
you know, the next time that we do something like that, I won't go to the extreme of losing my phone because coming back was such a pain in the bum trying to find all my work contacts and get it all reorganized. But yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll chuck it in, I'll turn it off and chuck it in the glove box because I had, I was so much more engaged with my kids with that, you know, 10 days away, just not having any distractions. It was amazing. Yeah. And the actual, yeah, the actual time you spend together, because you might be in the same room. Right, but you, if you're not connected, it's not the same thing, you know. And they, they grow up so quickly, man. Like it's just, it's crazy how fast the time with my kids is going. Like because I just, my son is now in grade two, um, and he actually goes to my, so, so we took over my family property three years ago. So he now sleeps in my old bedroom and goes to my old school. Wow. Um, and there's still a couple of teachers there from when I went there. So. <laughs> It's like I know how quickly that goes because I've been there and now I'm watching my son go through it. So it feels like it, three weeks ago sometimes. Exactly. You know? It, you know? Like he's got <clears> – they have a thing called the grade two sleepover and, and he's so excited about it. Well, I had the grade two sleepover and I still remember sleeping at the school in grade two and, you know, it doesn't feel like that long, you know, that long ago, but it was a lifetime yeah. ago now. But it's just time yeah. goes quick. So enjoy it and make the most of what you've got. So, you know, I, I, uh, my wife's sister is 16 years younger. So same, same parents and everything. They, um, they had a, she's, my wife's the oldest and the, the sister is the youngest and they had you know, miscarriages and things like that. And, but it's really interesting because I look very, very similar, the two of them. And my daughter is two and a half. And I first met my sister-in-law, who is now my sister-in-law, Georgia when she was four and a half, you know, or even younger because, wow. you know, my wife at that point was like 20, you know, yeah. and, um, <clears throat> you know, or even maybe even a little bit younger. Yeah. So anyways, Georgia's now 14 or something like that. And we're yeah. there on the weekend and Georgia is playing with my daughter, right? And it's, roughly it's not quite but it's it's a similar age difference between my daughter and georgia as there is between georgia and carrie my wife and i said to georgia i was like i met you remember when i first met you you know and she does because anyway it was a i stay actually stayed at their house in esperance that was the first time georgia ever met me i remember when we i told you about that trip around around australia did i talk to you about before at least today is that no. Oh yeah, when we so I went around Australia and uh, my car got broken into Melbourne, I got those speeding fines. Oh, that was yeah, about sorry, three hours ago when we started talking about that. No, no. So in that bike, same trip, bike riding. Yep, yeah, yep. <clears throat> in that same trip, when we were in Esperance, we stayed at my future parent-in-law's house. That's yeah. a whole story in and of itself. So I was like, Georgia, remember that? And she's like, Yeah, I remember that. And I was like, You are only a year and a half older than my daughter is, and Emmy is right now. And Georgia was like like mind explosion because she felt so small and so so she didn't feel as small and as young as what Emmy is, you know, but a year and a half is nothing, you know, yeah. that will go so quick. So yeah, so true. But I just think the, if you looked at, if you added up, okay, your 40 hour work week plus your travel time and then how much time do you waste on things that you don't enjoy or sorry, that you do enjoy, but don't push you further forward and don't really, that they neither fill your tank or drain your tank. You know, there's some things you do 
like that, you know, they just fill your tank, hanging out with your friends, going, you know, around a campfire, chatting about life. You know, you spend hours doing that. It fills your tank. You're on your phone. It doesn't do that, you know, but you, it no, sort right. of it doesn't. doesn't. <clears throat> no, you're right. It doesn't. See, my, my, um, my wife says, uh, fill your cup. Like she needs to get a cup filled. She says that all the time. And, yep. um, and she's a stay at home mum with our three kids looking after the kids. It's like a, a crazy full time job. Um, but when you said before, like you don't have hobbies anymore, like I'm exactly the same. Um, and I spend, you know, the majority of my life working, but I'm in an industry that I love, I'm passionate about, and I enjoy. So it's, you know, some days you don't want to get out of bed. You'd rather just roll over and, and just hit the snooze and, and stay there. But I think when we've got something that we enjoy, it kind of becomes a hobby as well. So for me, I've got, you know, I've got hmm. my family, my business, and and gardens, but it's what I enjoy and what I, you know, it's uh, it's a passion for me. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, it's a cliche, and I don't actually agree with this cliche entirely, but basically the idea is if you find a job that you love, you'll, in brackets, never work a day in your life. That's not true because, no, like you say, it's not true because there will be times where you'll have to do something that you actually don't like. So, for example, I don't like administration work, but I have to do it. You know, yep. as in, you know, like, uh, yeah, we have, you know, I don't do all the admin in the business, but I have to help out in that. I'm not good at that. Certain jobs, you know, I'm, I'm not good at, I don't enjoy as much. But the concept or the idea is is true. You know, it's just 100% specifically true in every single second of your life. But yep. that's the idea. It's like, <clears throat> I think, so I used to run ultra marathons back in the day before all my health stuff happened. The only reason why I was doing that is because I knew like we talked about, that I couldn't grow the business without massive pain because I was in the comfortable zone and I'd have to rev the heck out of my engine. And I didn't want to do it. I was in that, I was in that season. I didn't want to do it. I wasn't, I wasn't you know, desiring it. But I needed something to stimulate me and challenge me. And so I got into running, got into ultra marathons. And I think that's why people get hobbies. But if your work is stimulating and challenging and enjoyable enough in and of itself, mm. you know, you don't feel like you need to chase those other things, you know? So, From your point of view, like with you trying to grow your business, is that like financially um, you're making more money from doing that or are you doing that from a way that you can maybe step back off the tools and, and focus on working on the business instead of in the business? So here's the here's thing that's really interesting <laughs> and that's a good question. Thank you for inviting me on your podcast. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. My name is Joel Barnett and uh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> and your co-host here is Luke Smith. <laughs> uh, no, the, the, when I was younger, it was vanity, right? Yeah. And uh, to get really deep uh, and philosophical with you, I think it was actually a father wound, right? Because my, my parents got divorced and my dad went on the other side of the country and all that sort of stuff. And I liked gardening, but and I liked the business side of it, like clearly is that underlying passion was there, but I wanted big numbers to prove that I was a human being who had significance, worth, and value, Yeah, to put it bluntly. And then the older you get, it's like, okay, you're not going to get that just through work, right? Like, you know, anyways. So I had this whole thing, and, and over time, and one of the things about losing your health is you uh, – I went from very, very capable, very fit and healthy to, like, completely, utterly useless physically. and essentially financially at the mercies of a very few small things going wrong because there's no more margin in the business. Again, you're playing with a 10% profit margin. If you are, again, nice round numbers, 
you know, put it this way, 10%, if you're doing talking about profit, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is nine days. If you're working a 10% profit margin, those nine days is just paying expenses. Friday on the second week is profit. Yeah. The rough way of looking at it. So if Friday gets rained out, no profit. Yeah. You know, people who don't run a business like this don't know. So incredibly difficult. Nothing I could do. I couldn't step in and make it. So I realized that, you know, you, you've just got to do the best you can with where you're at. And at the end of it, I come back and I go, I don't, I don't want a big business for the sake of a big business. I actually don't want to make crazy money. You know, the most profitable thing that I could probably do is probably what I'm doing right now where I have one employee who is profitable and I just make a lot of money off my own hours, you know, and the most profitable thing for me to focus on would be to get healthier and healthier so I could work five days a week because I do about three at the moment. Yeah. Right. If I could do that, I'd make more money off that than I would having probably 13 employees. <clears throat> Roughly yeah. that's how it works out because that's that middle zone. Yeah. Right. So if you look at where we were at with 13 employees, we were not actually profitable at 13 employees, like I said. Uh, well, yeah. And by when I say that, it was like one, it's it's crazy. It's and it's deceptive as well. You might make ten thousand dollars in a fortnight and then have six weeks in a row where you lose five hundred dollars. And then you yeah. have another week where you it just it's fluctuates. But over the course of the year, because of issues and this and that, whatever, the concept could have worked, didn't work our way. So, anyways, but what really drives me as a passion now is there are so many people who love gardening and who want it as a sustainable career, but there are no good paying options except for starting your own business. And a lot of people do not have what it takes either because of the life stage they're at where they have kids and responsibilities. So they've come into gardening later on. So they don't have what it takes in terms of they just can't do it financially because too much risk. So even if they could, or it's just not in their personality. And most people, it's not in their personality. And so what actually drives me is I would like to make a business that can afford to pay people a median wage, which is like 80, 90, maybe $100,000 a year, depending on you know, how long it takes us to be able to get there and have that option across the country instead of it just being... So if I had five people across the country and they love their job and they're in the industry and they're actually earning good money, and, you know, these are people who have experienced, like, that would be awesome for me, you know, is and that, if you could grow is that. Are like trying to do that as a franchise or are you trying to have more control? No, because I think the franchise model has been done and there's massive <laughs> limitations on, on the franchise model in mm-hmm. terms of, like, you think about all the food franchises, incredibly good at certain things. I, I You know, my I, I love my podcast with Jim Penman. It's just not my philosophy. I think we're more similar in that I'd prefer to do high-end stuff. Yeah. So... I'd prefer to have employees. So maybe if you're talking about food, you think about, say, Gordon Ramsay, who has multiple uh, restaurants, yep. but they're all high-end restaurants, you know, yep. uh, or higher-end restaurants with employees, all that sort of stuff. That's yep. one way of looking at it. And then you have McDonald's. I'm not really interested in McDonald's. Yeah. And, yeah, you could probably do a franchise, but there are sacrifices. And, look, it would be three hours to talk about it. But I want real employees who, if they could make eighty, ninety, hundred thousand dollars a year, working normal hours, not have to do till eleven p.m. at night, because not everybody's made the same way as us. You know, yeah. some people would hear what we said then and just go, "That is the most disgusting thing I've ever heard of." I'd hate doing that, 
and I like gardening. It's just, you know, we're just wired differently. You know, people are different. But, yeah, someone work 40 hours a week, earn good wages, come home and be proud of what they do. Those jobs are so rare in our industry, and I would like to make it possible that that could happen. Mm. So that's what drives me now. And I think that comes back to the education thing again. Like earlier I spoke about my influence from the UK and, and how I get a lot of my ideas and and stuff from over there. Well, over in the UK, if you work in the same garden for your um, – I don't know if it's your career or you're doing like, you know, 10, 20, 30 years working over for a garden over there, then the royal family is sending out a medal, a medal with handwritten letters for your contribution to horticulture. We don't have that respect over here. Like it's just, you know, it's there's a long way for it to come. Um, so, yeah, I think like what you're doing with this is great. Um, and I think if we can help educate people from whatever side or whatever manner, then that's a great thing to do. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to, we're going to try that. We're trialing. So the reason, I won't say it on on air because it's just I don't know if it's going to work or not, right? But yep. there, there's you know there's ways of just going about how you organise the business that will make things really efficient. And the employee that we have, the main guy that we have now, he's been with me for three years, and he knows that we're trying what we're trying to do, and we're just going to experiment with him essentially, you know. So. Yep. Uh, and if it it could take me a year to to tune things before I even hire a second person, because yeah. I don't want to go back to a standard model because there are limitations in that. And mm. don't get me wrong, it can work, and it would have worked if we hadn't have had. Uh, it's actually two workers' compensation claims. One was one we talked about. We actually had a fraudulent workers' compensation claim for sixty weeks as well. Yeah, before well. that, and they overlapped by about a month. And so, anyway, so we had a lot of problems externally that it, it can work. So if someone's out there like, oh, my goodness, I'm trying to build a business. that won't. No, it could work. If you could target the upper middle class at a higher than average hourly rate and do good services and be efficient and all that sort of stuff, it, it can work. But I just don't have the passion yeah. for that because that would be more about the money side of things. You know, making an empire financially is just, uh, you know. And it's funny yeah. too, like say like, um, I don't know if ego is the word that you use. I don't think it is. But when you're younger, you've got that ego and you want to be the biggest and the best and everything like that. And growing up, I was just to watch the block on TV and I'd be like, I want to be as big and as well-known as Dave Franklin. Like Dave Franklin rules the block. Like I want to be Franklin Landscapes, big, 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 big. I went up against Dave Franklin, little guy from Kangaroo Ground, and I lost to him by one point. And I was like, you don't need to be that big, big company to, to put your name out there and produce that good work. And, and now I'm just focused on, um, quality over quantity, um, yeah, quality over quantity. So we don't have to smash out as many, but what we do put out there, I want it to be the highest quality that can be. Yeah. So, and your, your, I think what you're doing and there's a few other guys in and girls in different spheres to what you're doing. So, um, you know, hedge trimming or lawn care or whatever it is in their niche. I think what you're doing with that, that is the best path, all things considered. You can make money off it. You actually enjoy a lot of what you do. You feel that pride and satisfaction that you're not just somebody who's, you know, um, a low-level lawn mowing guy you know, or whatever, you know, weed puller. 
and I think a lot of people they they look at that and they go, "That's what I want." Especially when you've got you know sexy reels and Instagram photos and you know some yeah. you know it's appreciation funny, from that. Like we've like I've been um, very lucky with my career to have a lot of opportunities to go to like for argument's sake, the Melbourne Flower and Garden Show where we've I've worked there the last two years. You have all the big awards nights and the events nights throughout the industry where you have the big, big names of the industry walking around. Um, and majority of people in the NL industry are lovely. Some people at the very top of the high-end design market, they kind of think that they're that they might be a bit better than other people. And I always yeah, find that really okay. weird because I'm like at the end of the day, we're all dirt monkeys and we're all just, you know, having a go at it and we're, we're a trade essentially. I don't care if you're a designer, you're a maintenance guy or you're a landscaper, like you're, we're all out there playing in the dirt and trying to make this work. So, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. It's, people need to uh, be reminded of, of the industry that we're in and just enjoy it. You gotta, you gotta think about as well, like why. Like here's the thing about Jason Hodges. You were saying before, right? I've only had maybe one phone call with him. You know, I messaged him. You know, he's we've had some mutual contracts on the on, and he was like, yeah, I mean, he hasn't come on yet, <laughs> so I, don't, I shouldn't talk him up too much. But um, the phone conversation I had with him was. At the time, I think we're about eight episodes in or something very low, you know. And, you know, this unproven sort of, I'd never met him before, whatever. Talked to him on the phone. Fantastic guy. Just a real mm. human being, you know. Mm. And he was on TV. He, they won a Loki, I think. Yeah. You know, like you don't get bigger than that in Australian TV, basically. Mm. And, but as a human being, he was totally fine. It's like, you know, it's not like I've got a million followers or something like that, you know. Yeah. And the, the podcast has grown from then. And um, anyways, yes, you know, I'd like to get him on. But I there's also I've had chat with Joel and off air about those sorts of experiences as well. The evil, demonic, lovely, you know, Sir Joel. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't just refer to him normally now, is we you know, the um the zinger to my box, Joel. Oh, okay, box sounds a bit too dodgy there. <laughs> that, I just realized that was a lot more sexual than I really thought it was going to come out as. Like the start of the opening to his podcast this week. Oh, God. Oh, dear. Honestly, I've just pulled out my headphones as well doing this. Anyways. I think I'm waking up my child with that life as well. My wife is going to be very angry. <clears throat> uh, um, but, the same uh, thing is, um, you know, you say how like nice Jason is. Charlie Albone is exactly the same too. Like, you know, he was on Selling House Australia. He's on um, Better Homes and Gardens now. And, and he's one of the nicest people that you ever meet. Like I've met him in person a bunch of times now. Um, he's great with banter. Like he's a real big one on banter and, and kind of, you know, poking the bear as, as we all seem to do. Um, so, you know, there's some, and again, like high names and they're willing to give you their time and speak to everybody. They're just, the majority of people in this industry are, are just lovely people. Yes. And that comes back to what I was talking about with uh, the opportunity to take on mining, you know, mm. uh, yeah, four years ago, whatever it was, um, 
you don't get that in that industry. You know, I, I've got friends no. in mining and they don't have the love and the passion like we have the love and the passion. And, and that's it's, a dollar it's, game, isn't it? You, you're not. It you're is. Not, you're not digging um, holes looking for for gold for the love of it. You're doing it because you want the money. And then it creates this culture. And I've got a friend who who did a degree that wasn't mining related. Mm-hmm. But um, not specifically, but, you know, could transfer into lots of different industries and, you know, uh, ended up getting a job in mining. Mm -hmm. And um, the only reason why he's staying in his role is actually because it would, he wants to get a couple of years on his belt before he moves because his first role out of university. And he, it just doesn't want it to look bad. You know, like he's, he picked a job and jumped ship quickly, but the culture, he hates the culture and it's very, selfish and and so i think in the industry the people who work in this industry have sort of admitted that it's probably not the best i mean some of them it is the best financial thing for them because they might have come out of you know being a sandwich artist or whatever it was but um you know a lot of the the driving force for a lot of people is they want to be outside they love what they do and they're very supportive like there's easier ways to make money but it's um you, you do it because you love it yep all right mate well how are we going i mean do you want to make it to three hours? I just don't know if three hours is official because, you know, off the record, you did pause the podcast and run off to go to the toilet. So that's I true. I don't three out of three I, hours or not. And that was about three hours. So, <laughs> well, let's start wrapping up now. And um, yeah, my right. wife is going to be like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> and also, I was planning to get this podcast out tonight. Um, happen, right? Yeah, we can still try. Uh, <laughs> I said I was committed to 11 o'clock at night. It's 9.35. So where can people find you? Um, Instagram is probably the best place. So it's just um, Ashley James Gardens, or you can jump on the website, ashleyjamesgardens.com, and you can see portfolio and, and get in touch there, see what we do and what services we offer. But basically we're a, uh, uh, a very small uh, company now, but we do design, install, and horticultural services. Um, I say we're small, but we still tackle big projects because we have um, some really good subcontractors and just contractors in general that we work with. Yeah. And you've done a lot of big stuff in the past before, you know, six-figure-plus projects. Yeah. Because you said in the podcast with the Lord himself, Joel Barnett. Yeah. Well, it's just – it's uh, Instagram, I suppose, and, I, and, you know, again, my wife gave me a kick up the bum about it, but – um, when I'm posting so much of my garden and, you know, just digging tomatoes and stuff like that, it's almost like people forget what we actually do. But, um, you know, we, we do design, you know, the average garden for us, I guess, is probably over 100,000. So, um, you know, we will work on gardens from probably 50,000, 60,000 up to last year we finished. We had two, which we finished just before Christmas last year, and they were half a million each. So, you know, we kind of vary and, and go all over the place but yeah we do some big stuff as well that's crazy um last time we did the episode that was the biggest which was with nick and that mm-hmm. was a very popular episode as well from lawns and good nick we said send a photo of a pepsi max right if you made it to the end what should we do now like because a lot of people made it to the end of that one what should we say send a photo to us of <laughs> joel barnett <laughs> I think it's got to be something with Joel. Yeah, it has yeah, to be. Have to do something uh, with Joel. Do you know what's funny? So I met Joel at the, and I'm sorry, I will let you go to your wife at some point. 
Um, but I met Joel at the Melbourne Fair and Garden show years ago. Uh, didn't think he knew who I was. We then ran into each other years later down the track when we were both working on the block together. And um, caught up, said g'day, and, and he goes, yeah, yeah, I remember we met at the Flower and Garden show. Yep, cool. Um, you know, he's playing it cool that he's not that huge celebrity that he knows that he is. And then um, <laughs> for, for years I bugged him for a signed autographed uh, photo. And right. uh, and he was trying to charge me 20 bucks for one and, and I think I, I paid for one in the end and I've got a signed autographed photo of him. So uh, I'll have to um, I'll have to scan that and send that <laughs> over to you. It's a funny bugger. And again, like I, I, no, I stuffed this up because I thought that our podcast chat was on Thursday night, not tonight, but I did plan on having a poster of Joel with devil horns blown up and put in the background there. So You've had a um, David Jones bag in the back corner the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> And I didn't realize that when we set up, and I was like, I'll just leave it after we started recording. I didn't want to embarrass you. <laughs> Do you know what? Oh, that's so you actually thought, it. You thought, you know, I won't embarrass him at the start. We'll just run for three <laughs> hours. Most people are not going to make it to the end. So I wasn't embarrassing you in front of the majority of the audience. <laughs> but what's in there? It might be, it might be something like lingerie or something. That would be really embarrassing. <laughs> <That's> uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's just to pretend like you shot there. It's actually, it's yeah. yeah so you just went there just in the bag. Just trying to keep up with it's Joel fresh. and the money that he's turning over. You can either send us a picture of Joel Barnett, but if you don't have a picture of Joel Barnett, take a <laughs> screenshot of something to do with David Jones. <laughs> send that through. And um, I'm working on some goodies uh, to send out to people who I, I can't talk about now. But I did say in the, end of the last podcast, I might send out some goodies. Of a similar vein to what um, and Hamish and Andy do with their coin, mm-hmm. and they send out a coin to listeners. So I'm thinking of something around that line that um, is a sort of little merch thing, just a small little gift that people can get. And uh, so, look, if you're mad at the end of this, well done. Uh, send us a photo of either Joel Barnett or say mention something about Joel Barnett and how fantastic or horrible he is. Either way, we're fine. Or send a photo of David Jones stuff and uh yeah and um what what ash will do uh is he will give you a big cuddle and a kiss if he ever sees you in public what i will do because it's just come through which i probably should have mentioned earlier if you jump on my instagram i haven't posted it yet but if you jump on at some point this week um i've got a discount code for my followers if you like what i've done around my kitchen garden with the wildflowers they've given another discount code to pass on to people so you can jump on there and, and score yourself some cheaper wildflowers, which are the easiest things to grow at home, and you will love them. Um, again, no sponsorship with those guys. They're just an Australian company that I love their product and anyone that I'm you know, happy to get behind. So. so you're all about the love of it, not the money. That's it. So, All right. All right we cracked over three hours. There you go. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> See you, mate.